The year is 1978, and Palatoy bring you Star Wars. It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy. And it's about people. It's about, it's finally about people and not finally about science. The story when you actually put it into words is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great place, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over the dead, but you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's, a, it's pure entertainment, it's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Hello there and welcome to episode one of Generation Skywalker's Guide to Palatoy. I'm Dan Burgess and in this series of three Those Old Fossil specials, we'll be celebrating Palatoy and the Star Wars products they released in the UK between 1978 and 1985. As we walk through the years, we'll cover the changes made to products for the UK market by Palatoy, how Palatoy advertised and marketed Star Wars and look at the Kenner branded products that Palatoy never released. Working our way through the products by year will provide a unique view of the continuity of the period, consolidating the available information and provide context for decisions made by Palatoy, as well as an insight into what was happening behind the scenes as the years progressed. In this episode, we'll be covering the period from 1978 to 1979, as well as what was happening at Palatoy in 1977 in the lead up to the UK release of Star Wars. In the next episode, we'll be looking at 1980 to 82. And finally, in episode three, we'll look at 83 to 85. And joining me on this journey, I have three fine gentlemen, well-versed in the ways of Palatoy. Firstly, regular Generation Skywalker host, Peter Lee. Good evening, all. How are you doing? How are you doing, Pete? What was the last Palatoy item you purchased? It was a Rebel Transport at Echo. I got a nice unused, unused box one, which was, yeah, in the last, last minutes of the show, got sort of thrust towards me. I thought, you never see any of those in decent condition, and there was one, and it was kind of put in my direction, and so, yeah, I couldn't say no. So, yeah, got a very nice pilot toy, Return of the Jedi Rebel Transport. Wonderful. Next, we have two very special guests joining us. Firstly, Mr. Wendy Williams himself, John Aves. <laughs> Hello, how you doing, guys? What was your, what's your favourite pilot item in your collection, John? Well, that's a, that's a difficult question. I think I change my mind every so often, to be honest. It's, it's, it's probably... My 12-back Luke, I mean, to me, it's just probably the most iconic thing in the line, in my opinion. That's what it's all about, really. 
Which will still be all about Luke and his journey, and yeah, it's probably that. Very nice. And next we have the man behind Fathers From, the proprietor of all the cool stuff, all the way down in Fording Bridge, it's Dave Tree. Dave! (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. Hello, Dave. If money was no object, which palatial item would you like to own, production or otherwise? Oh, now that's a really cool, cool question. If money was no object... I so does it have to be Star Wars or could it be? Anything? Yeah, they are, yeah, it's a Star Wars. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> all right, all right. Bloody, action, <laughs> bloody action! Oh, we're not going to limit it just to Star Wars, are we? God, oh, I mean, they did so much other cool stuff. All right, so what would I go for? I think, and and this sounds really really silly, but it's more of a personal one. It'd be a two one B on a nice empire card because that's the first figure it wasn't wasn't my first figure that i got but it was the first figure i remember getting and it's one of those things that is on the bucket list of like wouldn't it be nice to get an example of at some point so it's not necessarily something really groundbreaking or, or mind-blowing or, or like you know oh you can get hold of this it, it, it it's actually something more sort of like personal yeah uh, more than anything else and i was on a holiday in Swansea and we were caravanning and we'd seen Empire Strikes Back and we went to the toy shop and they they only had 2-1-B and IG-88 so I got 2-1-B and then a couple of days later in another toy shop got Boba Fett which I was really chuffed at um because well, I, I had a few figures already but like that that was my first earliest memory of of getting the actual toys in a toy shop so yeah that'd be pretty cool amazing it's great to have that connection. It's something I sadly don't have with the earlier stuff because I'm pretty pretty much too young. My well, um, my era well, was John John being 21. It is difficult, but like yeah. you know, it's it's great that you are the next generation yeah. uh, of collectors. So when you hit 30, which which is a fair while away. Oh, you're very kind you, to me. In my little groups, I tend to be on the younger side and. I wish I wasn't. I wish I was around in that time. I wish I saw Star Wars in the cinema and the Empire Strikes Back, and I and I didn't, you know. But John, when you're when you're eighty and they're all like kicking the bucket, you'll be able to clean up on their collection. Yeah. Oh my God, you'll be like, you know, the Donald Trump of like Star Wars. Well, you know, you'll be like the, the he who 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 is last has all the toys. If if anything, start working on like. Getting everybody to write it in their wills now, so like you know, you just yeah, automatically I, I inherit all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also throughout the show, Craig Spivey will be dropping some knowledge that I've recorded with him separately, so you'll hear his soothing tones from time to time. Nice. So, boys, to get us warmed up for this, I've got a couple of questions for you each to answer. So, first of all, this is open to everyone. What does Palatoy mean to you, both as a collector today and back when you were a child? All right, so Pal- Palatoy for me, and going back to the previous question of like if money was no object palatoy for me is is more than star wars uh, my first love was actually action man action man from palatoy a brilliant toy as it will go on the cover within like this episode is uh, action man is testament to palatoy's ability to take a product adapt it and in some cases make improvements relevant to the market it's supposed to be in and for me a lot of people always go on about that palatoy logo 
which is so prevalent in the early days of like Star Wars up until like the sort of like midway through like Empire. But it it really if if there was to be a toy company that defined my childhood, it really genuinely was Palatoy because Action Man and Star Wars, then Action Force, and I was into other things like Transformers as well and a little bit of mask towards the end but like really if you if you looked at the heavy hitters you know what i was into for the greatest amount of time mm. it was the brands that were managed by like palatoy and there were other things that i also had that were palatoy created that weren't necessarily part of those three brands like pocketeers and and, and things like that so it, it's such a for me it's such a real incredible connection to my childhood and were you aware uh, of Palatoy, it being a Palatoy product when you were as a child? Because I didn't get that connection until much later on. In a, in a way, no. It was it was almost like it was background noise. It was, it was there because you were into the brand specifically first. So it's not like you were you were brand loyal to the company. You were brand loyal to Action Man. You were brand loyal to star wars it was just one of those things that was like there that you were kind of vaguely and and you know for me you know we're we're talking i'm I'm like a toddler you know so i i'm completely unaware of these things but you then start then forming as much a nostalgic connection to that as you do with like the packaging material itself and if you were to have asked me that the question that you asked like john about what's your favorite thing in your in your collection for me it's actually the toy catalogs that were the trade catalogs because i can go back through those and look at the the breadth and depth of the things that they created and the things that they distributed for and it's it's just amazing for me to like go through and 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 see that and that that's really the advertising gimmick of their products it's not a, a physical product itself it's it's like the trade catalogs but that's that's my my favorite part of my collection because you can just go through those and spend hours and and you know it it, it brings back so much for me so uh it's it's a strange weird relationship <laughs> that i have but i know i'm not the only person who feels that I... way and and for some people it is you know, begins and ends with Star Wars, and, and for some people, you know, they look at Star Wars as being one of the weaker achievements because it was, you know, more or less an American thing that was brought over here. You know, Pal- Palatoy did bring things to the table, but it it didn't allow them to do what they really flex their their, their their full capabilities for. For me, it's just such a defining part of my childhood, and also. I'm the youngest of three, so like, yeah, I don't know if Pete's going to go on to it later, but he was talking about Pippa dolls before <laughs> the episode. But like, my one of my sisters, she was into Pippa dolls, so again, and I, I would have had no idea that they were they were Palatoy back then. But like now, you're looking back and you're like, oh my god, yeah, these things are kind of everywhere. <laughs> so uh, no, it's a it's a big deal. What about you, John? Because you're a lot, big chunk of your collection's Palatoy, isn't it? If not all of it, I think. The ma- yeah, the vast majority. I mean, what the answer Dave gave is, is something that I, you know, I can really appreciate in all now. But as he said, as, as a as a child, in terms of the the brand name itself, it didn't really mean anything to me because the majority of my Star Wars toys were very late Empire and, and Jedi, and by then that logo had long since sort of gone. I know it briefly came back in like a little black and white logo in some of the Jedi stuff. But I, I actually knew the logo Kenner because I remember getting a few bits of like sort of Kenner imports. And so I, I remember the Kenner logo 
but I don't remember the Palace World logo. Do you think some of that could be well, like because I, I, in the nineties and stuff when we were buying Steve Sandsweet's books, yeah, and everything was Kenner, Kenner, Kenner. Do you think some of yeah. that had bled in as well that you just oh, naturally assumed everything was Kenner and Palace World came as a bit of a surprise? Yeah, in 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 some ways, yeah. What got me into collecting again in '95 when they for the last time they released Star Wars on on VHS and it was digitally remastered and there was like that interview of Lucas at the beginning of each tape and inside the each cassette there was like a little leaflet where they were promoting the um, Power of the Force two yeah. and I I was blown away because the vehicles were sort of the same moulds they were just more detailed and they'd actually used some of the original figures in the pictures which that was just, I'll never forget that. I've still got those little leaflets. And then you saw the new figures, and I mean, I thought they looked terrible. I, I wasn't interested in them, but I was interested in the vehicles because they were of the same mould. You, you got that, and then, as you say, I mean, I, I, the Tomars is probably the book that blew me away because I'd never seen a figure on a Star Wars card before. I'd, I'd just never seen it, and, and I saw it in the Tomars, and that just absolutely blew me away to see that for the first time. But as you say, it was, it was all Kenner. And I, I didn't get into collecting Palatoy until pretty late, really, which was like 2008, 2009. That was when I really started going down that route. And for obvious reasons, I wish I'd started a bit earlier. But, you know, can't really complain what I've managed to pick up over the years. So, yeah, I mean, Palatoy means a lot to me now, but it didn't as a kid, basically. Also, as a kid, we had there was such a rush for product that you had, even just in the sort of the toy section and Palitoy related you had Palitoy Kenner Dennis Fisher McCarlow yeah. all kind of coming at us and and, and then that's just the, the toy area and you think all the other brands that were getting involved so it was just a a wash of product wasn't there and when you are a kid you don't really look at the, the branding as much you just sort of grab the toys and you and you go with it so it was there yeah. and it was in, in a, as a background to our childhood, and Dave touched on it, it's sort of subliminally there as we sort of growing up. And, yeah, it becomes more and more important as a as an adult, as you learn more yeah. and read more and sort of it, it, you appreciate it far more now yeah. from a from a collector's point of view. Yeah. Because it is so iconic, and it's so good. That logo is so strong, like the colours and that. Just, oh, the just, genius logo. Absolutely yeah. genius, that logo was, you know, amazing. Pete, you've got quite a bit of palatal in your collection. How, how, how deep does that run? It does go, yeah. I've got all the place, all the Star Wars playsets. I'm only missing the Tie Fighter with the on the from the Star Wars run. Empire, I'm missing a few bits, but yeah, mainly there's, I think I need a snow speeder. But <clears throat> got a lot of the box stuff and just four carded figures. But I think yeah, it'd be nice to get more carded figures. But <laughs> as and when I think when they come out, they're getting harder and harder to get. I think now I'm sort of almost saving to, to, to pick up Palitoy stuff. I think it's less is more at the moment and I think you just sort of hold back and you wait for the real quality items and cause they mean they mean so much more and as space becomes a premium you're, you're sort of certain items mean far more rather than the quality the quantity. You're looking sort of quality of it. I mean I've come in I've come in later. I mean I was picking up carded figures probably ten, fifteen years ago when I started collecting carded figures and I just got whatever I could get my hands on. So I've got a lot of Kenner's probably most represented in my carded collection but I've spent the last three years not going mad you know every now and then I'll sell 
the Kenner equivalent when a Palatoid one comes up. So I've got that as almost collateral to help <laughs> take the sting out of it. But I've, I've had, I've had quite it, a good right? bit of fun with, with some of the Jedi cards recently. So I've got a nice 65 back run going, picked up a couple of 30 backs, some uh, 45 backs. Is it 45, 41 backs, isn't it? And 41, a few other bits. 45. Yeah. Yeah. And some, and yeah. So it's been, it's, it's nice doing that just, just to keep the interest going and, and, and backfilling it. So yeah, it's been a bit of a, a void to discovery for me. Has, has anyone got anything in particular they're looking to cover in this series? All of it. Good answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's a good answer. Well, I, I think what's really good is where you mentioned earlier that there's going to be bits cut in with Craig because a lot of people, for them, when it comes to like Palatoy Star Wars, it is only to do with the action figures. And they did produce other product that is still arguably... Palatoy Star Wars, but they're like slightly different brands. So, like, you've got like the board games, you've got Play Doh, you've got some of the uh, creative material like dip dots and, and, and things Keel like that. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, and, and again, they're naff toys, but they are, they are 100% that is what every kid had in the 70s and, and early 80s you know everybody got a kite at some point and everybody <laughs> knackered the kite you know because it was made out of two bits of wood and a bit of polythene and you know they, they, they these these things were rubbish but they were like a staple of every kid having those things in in, in one form or another we can all re- relate to it even if you didn't have that specific thing so i think it's important to cover as much of that material as possible because it is always overshadowed by the action figure side of things and with palatoy in particular some of their biggest contributions to this are things like destroy the death star game which just never gets a look in but it you know that is a palatoy originated product so yeah now it's great that we're we're trying to encompass all of these things because a lot of other things that go out there that 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 go into these areas they do just keep it to the three and three quarter inch figures and that's about it you know but if you were covering the the 12 inch where you know was amalgamated in with dennis fisher later on diecast side of things as well you know it, 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 it's quite exciting and and even you know as so far as going right further on down the line because of parker brothers being like tied in although it's not necessarily seen as a palatoid but like you had like the video game stuff that was created as well before the great mm. big video game crash we never really associated it to be part of palatoid star wars collecting but it is and it's a great area because people don't really appreciate it and then all of a sudden you find it's actually really cheap to like pick it up as a result because you know people people neglect it so you can pick up with these like little pockets of things. Chad Ch- yeah. Valley's another one, isn't it? I mean, we'll probably yeah. cover that in the yeah, section yeah, yeah, here. But yeah, they, yeah. They, they like, had the, they give us slides. Yeah, like that's that. it. Give us yeah. slides. Yeah. I only yeah. found out about that after I've done the show notes. I'm like, quick, I better add that in. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but, I'm sure. I'm sure we might overlook something. So yeah, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll, um, we'll 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 catch the vast majority of it. Yeah, yeah it's important to include all that stuff. Shall we shall we get in the uh, in the Generation Skywalker DeLorean then and head back to 1977? <laughs> <laughs> when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. What's this? What's this?
So at the, at the top of each year, I've got a few UK-specific pop culture stats. So in 1977, the biggest single of the year was The Mull of Kintyre by Wings. Oh, okay. wow. <laughs> biggest selling album was Arrival by, by ABBA, with hits such as Dancing Queen, Knowing Me, Knowing You, and Money, Money, Money. These are all uh, Jez's favourites, aren't they? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we got on TV, Morecambe and Wise, got, had the Christmas special, scored the highest ratings for a comedy show ever, with reported 28 million viewers. Wow. And top of the UK box office that year was The Spy Who Loved Me, and it 8 million. Wow. So back to Palatoy, and although they didn't release any Star Wars product in 1977, we will need to start our journey here. Many of our listeners may be familiar with Palatoy and its history, but for the benefit of those that aren't here are the footnotes. Alfred Pallet founded the Castelloid Company in 1919 to produce celluloid products, and in 1920, the company produced its first toys. The company was based in Colville, a small mining town in Leicestershire, located slap bang in the middle of Britain. In 1931, Castelloid was purchased by a plastics production and engineering company called British Xylonite, and in 1935, it was rebranded a toy division called Palatoy after the Castelloid founder, Alfred Pallet. In 1968, Palatoy was sold to US food giant General Mills and added to its growing list of toy companies from around the world that formed the General Mills toy division. This group included Kenner, who were based in Cincinnati, Ohio in the United States. In early 1977, Kenner struck a licensing deal with Lucasfilm for worldwide rights to produce Star Wars toys. Because of this association with Kenner, Palatoy would go on to become the UK's main distributor of Star Wars toys. But this was not a foregone conclusion. And Dave will pick up the story from here. Dave, can you help paint a picture for us of how this all came to be? Yeah, so I think fundamentally, whenever we look back with anything in terms of nostalgia... We are heavily, heavily influenced by the period of time in question in the United States. And if we look at like the 70s and 80s here in the UK, it is actually a very different story to than what we see back in, in the States. Because like when you think about the 80s, you think of like, ah, oh, sunshine and everybody, everything's bright and loud and flashy cars and things like that. The truth is. We didn't have any of that here, and we certainly didn't have that going on in the 70s in the UK. It's a very, very, very different landscape to like the United States. We're working in a time that's pre-globalization, and Star Wars wasn't necessarily the first globalized toy brand. There were things that came before then, but we are literally on the crest of what is produced in one place is the same thing that's produced everywhere. Within the UK... I think it's fair to say that brown was the favourite colour of every interior, of every lounge, of every curtain, in every bedroom and things like that. And avocado was probably the colour of choice for, for bathrooms as well. Every kid had a parka jacket. We all had like corduroy jeans, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. They were like, probably brown as well. Yeah, yeah, they probably were. But like, <laughs> you know, if, if you genuinely look back in terms of the UK, it was very different to like what is the nostalgic feeling of what is in the 1970s. 70s and 80s because you're influenced so much by tv shows and films that are predominantly american based and it kind of filters through into our heads 
and gives us that warm, fuzzy feeling. But the reality was, no, it, it was very different. The retail landscape was incredibly different as well. Now, whilst Palatoy was a dominant player in the toy market, it was really only within the boys' toy market that it had like the, the very strong foothold. And that was because of the aforementioned Action Man. Action Man from Palatoy. Action Man. For anybody who's listening to this from outside of the UK, is the British version of the 12 inch GI Joe. Rather than taking that name and trying using it for the UK market or, or to a degree the European market, <clears throat> the decision was made to rename it. But it was not through the association with Kenner because GI Joe was created by Hasbro. So Palatoy had a license with Hasbro to create Action Man and sell Action Man. So Palatoy was actually a very interesting company within the General Mills group because everything else, all the other toy interests within General Mills did not have anything to do with Hasbro. Hasbro was the biggest rival to Kenner within the boys' toys market. And here you've got like this pre-existing relationship that was like done in the late 60s where Hasbro were working with Palatoy and Palatoy's then working with like Kenner. So it was, it was, it was sort of a, 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 a strange blurring of lines. But Action Man was the best selling boys toy and majority of these were sold through toy shops and within the retail landscape within the UK the majority of toy shops weren't chain stores again we we look back and we think of oh well you know Toys R Us no we didn't have Toys R Us back then Zodiac Toys oh well Zodiac Toys came about but like not until much later you had a little bit of Woolworths but not a massive amount you had a little bit of WH Smiths but you not a, a huge amount the majority of it was through independent toy shops so single operated sites they made up the volume of all toy retail in the uk so that meant as a company palatoy had to have a sales force because you know, this is pre-internet, so pre-email, pre-mobile phones to have an account manager to service territories. So you'd have, you know, a team that would work, say, like London and a team that was like northeast, northwest, Scotland, Midlands, southeast, southwest, Wales. And they would be in regular contact with each of these toy shops. You know, there's a, it, it was a lot of hard work. You know, there's a lot of driving around, catching up with them, sending through letters and store visits to like inform about the latest product releases, try and get you to buy more stuff, try and work out if you can get more shelf space of a, of a particular product and things like that. And these, the relationships that you'd have there with the, the account managers would define pretty much what was in store. So because they, they were much more personal relationships, if the account manager wasn't very good at their job, there wasn't much palatoy presence within, within like these like small toy shops. But again, thinking about Back to when they were. If you've ever visited all the cool stuff, it is an absolute chaotic <laughs> like toy shop. And that's what they were all like. You know, there was boxes everywhere. There was like crammed floor to ceiling full of stuff everywhere. You would quite often find things that had been sat on the shelf for longer than it should have been because yeah. like, the turnover of stock was quite, you know, longer. So by the time we're talking about here with like Star Wars, you would have had on the shelves things like where I mentioned Action Man, but you would have had things like uh, Six Million Dollar Man, 
you would have had like Mego action figures, like the uh, superhero ones. You would have had a lot of Meccano, some Lego, all, all of these sorts of things. And then also like a lot of role playing as well. Um, cowboys, Indians, you know, cap guns, because again, the use of imagination, a lot of the, 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 the toy themes weren't predefined as in we are within this one setting. It was all about using your, your imagination and, and applying it accordingly. So you'd have like, uh, like a fancy dress section almost with the sheriff's rifle or like Smith and Weston six shooter type things. More of that rather than say like water pistols and, and soup soakers and nerf guns that you'd find today. You know, they, they were almost kind of not quite proper rep- replicas but it was literally all about catering for those markets and you'd also quite often have stationary products in there as well because stationary was a, a, a default gifting you know everybody got that terrible set square and protractor <laughs> and ruler set at one point and with a compass yeah. i mean every christmas you got a compass set and it's like whoopee doo <laughs> oh the the last thing i want to have for christmas is a math set i mean great when you right unless it's just the whole thing <laughs> but, but that but that was that was just literally a shill in itself you know nobody really wanted them we, we we covered them now but like back then you weren't really like oh wow thanks you know it's just like yeah. oh is that is that it i'd much rather an action figure but these are the things that you got you know you got like packs of felt tip pens to like color in stuff and, yeah. and stuff like that the the way we went about and bought and consumed goods was very different to how it is now we got unlimited information at our fingertips back then you were only influenced in what was there when you walked over that threshold into that toy shop and it'd be yeah. quite often dark and dingy and uh, no two were the same you know it's not like in the UK now, you walk into one Waterstones, you walked into the mall. You walk into one Costa Coffee, you've walked into the mall. They, every single shop was individual, had its own personality, and what would be in there? No, no two were the same. Very we all give a, a shout out to our, our, our own individual shops that we would have gone to like that because I think we've all got one, right? So I, I had um, Toycraft 70 in South Harrow and I actually found a picture of it the other day. It like, must be the only one wow. on the internet. But yeah, that was that was wow. exactly what you're describing. What about the rest of you? Where, where did you? where did you all get your toy fixes from? For the indies, I had J.H. Lorimer's in Ed Purley and there was Coulston as well, which is where I was. And there was also, and I can't find any pictures of it, there was a Hamleys in Croydon, randomly, on George Street. And I remember getting a lot of, a lot of stuff in there. So I guess you can... Hamleys isn't independent, isn't it? Yeah, but they were, yeah. the, two, they were the main ones. For me, it was, in the early days... A toy box here, which is as a sort of a random side story, is also where Gary Smith got some of his Star Wars figures from. And he was just like one of those incredible like moments of like, what? Like, you know, six degrees of separation. I went to school with his cousin. In Fording Bridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was just just like one of those weird moments. When I used to visit my nan and granddad on my mum's side, there was Nuxley Toys in the Medway, which is a, a toy shop that is a firm favourite with lots of people again an independent toy shop it wasn't particularly massive but it was just absolutely like fantastic so always remember within this pit sort of like period of time what was close by here and then also visits to like nan and granddad because like you know they probably just want to get something to shut us all up Um, (laughs) and then really not within this era but like 
the, the daddy of them all was John Menzies in Bournemouth because that was just like Star Wars souped up. You know, he was just incredible. And that had everything back then, like sort of like during the sort of like Empire and Jedi era. That that was like the one that you go to and it had everything. But uh, loved it. What about you, John? Yeah. So I've only got a memory of a couple of independent toy shops that I went to. And one was in an area called Palmer's Green. And I remember getting quite a few of my uh, GoBots and things from there. And there was a place in Enfield called Jennings. I think that was only closed a few years ago, actually. That was a very well-known independent toy shop. But, yeah, I, I do. I mean, what Dave was saying, I really miss those independent toy shops. I mean, they were just, you know, so great, too. Because, as he said, they're all individual, all unique. You know, you, you go into one, you don't know what to, to you're going you're gonna to see. You can't compare them. They're they're all unique. They're, they're a thing of beauty, really. You know, just it's it's nice to go into like your shop, Dave, and it just sort of brings back memories of, of how the toy shops once were in the mid nineties, late nineties. I used to go into a place in Croydon called Modellers Loft, and yes, the, the, the original shop, Modellers Loft, was yeah. set up like a oh, it's you incredible. know, like stepping back mm. in time, wasn't it? You know, yeah. When I first walked in there, I was I was blown away. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that before. Dropped a lot of money in there over the years. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. But you mentioned Zodiac. That was a, a fantastic one. It's love going into Zodiac in Croydon, but also Gamleys as well. Gamleys was kind yeah. of a big. Loads of um, Star Wars toys downstairs in there. When I was in when I was in sixth form, my um, careers teacher, Mr. Franklin. I remember I'd, we we had a free period, and I'd taken Return of the Jedi in. I think it was the, the one last time version and me and a couple of mates were sitting in the careers room. He, he, he let Skive in there and we was, had the TV out and we was watching it. He came in and he went, oh, Return of the Jedi. And we started, at that time I wasn't even considering collecting vintage. I think I'd picked a couple of loose figures up, but he's like, oh yeah, I've been, don't worry about going around all the shops around here. I've already been cleaned them out. <laughs> I'd love to find him now I'd love to know what he did with him I had the same with my science teacher Mr Baxendale he did exactly the same thing like because I only found out afterwards after I left school that he was then a big like Star Wars fan and a Star Wars collector I was like no way but for the real family entertainment at it's most sublime you'll have to wait till after Christmas when Star Wars opens in London Even by the standards of Hollywood, a place where nothing succeeds like excess, Star Wars is a phenomenon. It only opened in America at the end of May, but already it's the biggest box office hit in cinema history, having grossed the best part of $200 million in the United States alone. Perhaps one important reason for this immense popularity is that it somehow combines elements of all the best-loved themes of romantic adventure, from the Arabian Nights to the Western, from the Knights of the Round Table to science fiction and space fantasy. Alec Guinness, as a sort of elderly space-age Sir Galahad, is the best-known actor in the film, the juvenile leads being played by Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Eddie Fisher's daughter Carrie as the kidnapped princess. But the real stars, I fancy, will turn out to be two robots, known as C-3PO and R2-D2. Ironically enough, Star Wars was turned down by two studios before 20th Century Fox agreed to back it without too much initial enthusiasm and with a comparatively modest budget of £6 million. Even more ironically, most of the spectacular sets and the live-action scenes, which are about half the strength of the picture, were created by British technicians at Elstree Studios. But, of course, none of the monstrous profits will come back to support our own local film industry. In fact, the overwhelming success of the picture surprised everybody, including Fox, the producer Gary Kurtz, and the director George Lucas. 
Had they been able to predict it, we should already be inundated with commercial spin-offs, such as toy models of R2-D2 and C-3PO. They won't be here in time for Christmas, but ray guns, spaceships, T-shirts, posters and Star Wars wallpaper, bubble baths and breakfast foods should be on the market pretty soon. As one Fox executive put it, it's not so much a film, it's more an industry. And the man chiefly responsible for both film and, by extension, industry is the writer and director George Lucas, who spent years writing and rewriting the script until he felt it was good enough to go into production. And the script, which is like everyone's nostalgic memory of glorious Saturday morning matinees, is quite as important to the overall film as the special effects. George Lucas is best known, or was until now, for American graffiti, but I suppose the initial seed of Star Wars was sown in his first picture, a science fiction story called THX-1138, made when he was a 27-year-old graduate of film school. It's really quite irritating to think that even while he was making that picture, George Lucas was already mulling over ideas for Star Wars. And now five years, and only two films later, at the age of 32, he's so rich he need never work again. Oh, well, it's no good being jealous. He's a good director and deserves his success. Damn him. Star Wars came about, and again, we were lagging behind the United States in terms of not both just the film release, but also like the toys. And whilst Kenner was the genuine creators of the the Star Wars toys, uh, Kenner was part of General Mills, and General Mills had a conglomerate of like toy interests globally, with the idea of like uh, allowing people to take other people's toy lines and distribute them in those company in, in their own respective like territories and countries. So this is where, as I mentioned earlier, about like you know we're at the crest of like globalization, and within the UK. General Mills actually had more than one toy company at the time. They had Dennis Fisher as well. Dennis Fisher is best known as the Spirograph, you know, and it's named after the the inventor of the Spirograph, which is a cruel toy. Again, <laughs> where we're talking about protractors and, and set squares, compasses, this is another one of those toys where it's kind of like an element of like technical drawing and science bring brought into it. But there was a knack to doing it, and you could like make these amazing patterns and things like that if you could be patient enough and had enough flexibility in your wrist to be able to like keep the, the cogs going to like build, create these spirals and stuff like that. But Dennis Fisher had a huge hit with Six Million Dollar Man, and that really propelled things forward. And when Star Wars was coming along, I think it was felt that Dennis Fisher was expecting to be able to get hold of the distribution rights for like Star Wars. Because Palatoy had Action Man. Action Man from Palatoy. So why would they need something going up against their own product where a six million dollar man's coming to an end we need something to replace that star wars will fit in quite nicely but for one reason or another it was felt that dennis fisher should get some of the products but not the lion's share and palatoy end up with like the distribution of the the three and three quarter inch action figures now bear in mind at this point in time things are unproven people don't know how big this thing's going to be and we get you're getting reports and things like that coming over from the states and you know star wars mania is like kicking in but nobody really knows what effect this is going to have on on any of these companies now dennis fisher and palatoy had an alliance but they, for, for all intensive purposes they were their own separate companies they 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 were owned by the same company but like they they were their own separate entities and things like that so 
when it came to the launch of Star Wars, because we were lagging behind in the United States and because the States had also were lagging behind in terms of getting that product out. By the time they got the product to market, all hell had broken loose because we had things like the early work package out in the States and the film had been out for quite some time, you know, so like the, the anticipation to get hold of these toys were like fever pitch. Demand was so great that not everything was available to the UK market. And because you were going to all of these independent retailers rather than one point of contact who's a buyer for a chain of toy stores you've got you've got to brief all of your sales guys you've got to get those sales guys going into every single one of these retailers and say look this is the next big thing guys we need you to you know make some space in your shop because this is going to be huge now as a toy retailer myself i can tell you every single toy company tells you it's the next big thing (laughs) right you start to completely filter all of this stuff out after a while and you're like okay sure fine whatever and some of the defining points of this are always what's it going to cost yeah yeah what what, what's my initial outlay what what, what's the minimum order quantity how much you know space is it going to be when are we going to get it is there any support? Is there any promotional material? Is there any freebies or point of sale and stuff like that? And so each of these salespeople had to market this again and again and again. Something that's unproven to all of these toy retailers to like try and say, look, this thing is on the horizon. It's going to be fantastic for you. We're going to, we, we are both going to like, do really well out of this but i need you to like trust in me and really because you're dealing with small independents where cash flow is key to their survival they don't have huge reserves of cash to invest in in, in vast amounts of stock or economies of scale certain compromises had to be made to scale it back and make it palatable for the retailers to initially get on board with things before this thing could prove itself. We always, again, we look back and go, we're like, oh, it was so huge. But like, you know, before then, you're really asking people to take a punt on something that you are asking them to take a punt on something almost every few months. <laughs> you know, so why is this one any different? Is it firm sale in the toy industry as well, Dave? Was it sale or return or... Well, the majority of it is, 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 you know, once it's purchased, you, you own it. And that is mostly, that is certainly the case today. Back then, a lot of it was firm sale, but you'd get credits for orders. So you would almost accrue, depending on how much you'd spent during the year. So for argument's sake, you'd spend um, ten thousand pounds on Star Wars toys, you would probably get like a rebate back, a percentage of anything between five and ten percent back, and that rebate could be then writing off stock that yeah. wasn't selling. So it's not necessarily a like free stock, but it'd be al- allow you to like kind of like discount, discount. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can clear it and only on on those products that have been bought through through that that toy wholesaler didn't they they also offer a discount on other lines like action man if people bought star wars and stuff like that as well yeah 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 yeah. so so you'd have you'd have like offsets going on so like you know buy buy two of these you get one of these free and and again it was kind of like we'll piggyback off the success of something that we know that you buy to then get you to then 
you know, buy into this. And again, some of that was like national campaigns that were set out by Palatoy themselves. And some of it would have been at the discretion of like the, the account manager, you know, just trying to get, get their numbers up. Cause they, you know, they, they, they're all on targets and they all had like degree of autonomy to be able to like work out their own deals. Again, because it's all relationship building, you know, I bought this off you. It's a turkey. You know, what are you going to do about it? Oh, I'll tell you what, let, let's order this and I will kind of like offset that the cost of this to like refund you, you know, on the thing that's not selling, you know. So there's all also like wheeling and dealing going backwards and forwards and things like that because it was all very much done on the individual basis rather than centralized stock controlling one price one discount yeah minimum order quantity minimum shipping value and all this sort of stuff you know the, the we're working on bits of note paper and carbon copy pads you know where they they tear off a sheet and then you've got a copy and they've got their sales order to then go off and things like that. i mean this is this is even before fax machines really so these things would either be like telephone through to the sales mat area sales manager collect those and then off up to the distribution points to then ship out the orders so yeah there there was all sorts of like wheeling and dealing going on to be able to like get people enticed and on board taking some of the bigger retailers to see screening to star wars in london and stuff in july of that year i think i read as well so some of that was going on too yeah quite possibly i mean you had like key accounts you know the 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 key accounts wouldn't necessarily be the ones who are it would be a combination of the biggest accounts in terms of value and size so like Woolworths, for example but you'd also have ones that would be seen to be strategically important to have and look after so like harrods selfridges that sort of thing <clears throat> that they wouldn't necessarily have the the deal but you know that that is a sig- hamley's prime example you, you'd have certain ones that you, mm-hmm. you knew that they had were key locations that they had to be very much looked after so yeah yeah the, the, I, I i dare say there was like screenings but the screenings are like oh wow to us but like you know to them it's kind of like well look why don't you come down and see this and we'll go for a beer afterwards or, or yeah. we'll, go, we'll have, you know, that was probably more the, the, the rub more than, than seeing the film and then seeing the film and going, Oh my God, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. But like, you know, the incentives are not necessarily the incentives that we think they, they were yeah. at that point in time. Yeah, we'll go for we'll go for a beer afterwards and talk talk about those returns I need to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> that, exactly that. You know, because it, it, it was a little bit, you know, it was a little bit woo, it was a little bit way, uh, you know, it, but it was, you know. Yeah, it was, it's like you say, the rep, the rep relationship was, was key to it all. Yeah, to all. yeah, 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 no, completely. Yeah. You, you mentioned as well the early bird offer at the start, Dave, when you were talking about Kenneth. Palatoy, by all accounts, were considering that. How, how seriously were they considering doing that for the UK? So as, that's a question I don't really have any knowledge on through the people that I've spoken to so there are very many luminaries within sort of like the palatoy that are from the design department that are from like marketing that are from distribution and and sales reps and things like that and I've never actually had anybody discuss that with me and I think the main reason for that is because where we were behind where Kenner were by the time the product was going to be available for launch in the UK. We were already 
at that point with like Kenner, so there was no need to do like an early bird side yeah, I, of things. I, I get it why they didn't do. It. I just I was surprised when I read that they did even consider it, given that the movie hadn't even yeah. been released. Obviously, had the hype in the states. Everyone had seen the film and wanted the toys for Christmas, yeah. and that was the next best thing. Because I, I think the early bird kits were um, released in the last quarter of '77, uh, weren't they? Yeah. 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 So, prototype yeah. Palatoy Early Bird Kit, I think that would be something. Yeah, there you go, there's your, there's yeah. your, there's your one oh. item, you're <laughs> With that certain picture packing them in worldwide, toy producers haven't been slow to take the hint. Star Wars has brought more bizarre costumes to the screen than even Hollywood can remember. Mums and dads are in for some visual shocks when they go toy shopping this year. For the first time in cinema history, set and costumes from a screen spectacular have become museum pieces even before the first showing. At London Science Museum, youngsters of every age are drawn to this cavalcade of way out stars. This has been the biggest build-up of any motion picture. Characters like C-3PO and R2-D2 promise to become as familiar as Snow White and Mickey Mouse. In true Hollywood tradition, they bid to become the screen's first lovable robots. British actors include Alec Guinness as Ben Kenobi and Peter Cushing. Mark Hamill plays Luke Skywalker in the £6 million epic. The attendance at Star Wars has been almost astronomic. Queues are still forming. In America, more money was taken at box offices in one week than for the prestigious Jaws. In London, after a month, almost 600,000 flocked to see the film, an all-time record. What is the attraction of Star Wars? Who can say? There have been lavish spectaculars before. Perhaps it's because this one takes the best from all the rest. Colour, breathless excitement, fantasy. And because we on this planet are already touching space with a tentative finger, more reality than we care to admit. The fact is, Star Wars is out of this world. Okay, so Star Wars was released in UK cinemas on the 27th of December in London's West End. Smashing House records previously set by Jaws then spread into a further 12 cities in January 78. Although Star Wars had been released for more than six months earlier in the States, even as 1978 rolled around, it would still be several months more before children anywhere in the world would get their hands on the toys from the film. We're into 1978. So the biggest single of 1978 was Boney M's by the River of Babylon. The biggest album of the year was the BG soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. And on the TV, the game show Sale of the Century gathered the most viewers. And at the movies, of course, Star Wars was number one, collecting a colossal 15 million at the box office. So double what James Bond had done the year wow. prior. Wow. So, in January, the publication of Star Wars Weekly commenced. In the fifth issue released in February, Palatoy ran a two-page spread announcing their range of Star Wars toys. The ad stated the action figures would arrive shortly, and in September of that year, Palatoy aired its first TV commercial for the three and three-quarter inch line, including the X-Wing Landspeeder and showcasing the Death Star playset. John, it is over wow. to you. On action figures, my friend, what did we see in 1978? So, again, sadly, I have no personal memories of this because I was just too young at the time. But it appears that first figures that came out were around springtime and early bird figures that were released first, which was Luke, Leia, Chewie and R2. And it was then followed by the bulk of the 12s, Ben, Han, Vader, 
3PO and the Stormtrooper. The third wave was the Jawa, Death Squad Commander and Sand People. That was later in the year. There were effectively three different 12-back cards. The 12-back is obviously the first card that the figures came out on. You had the 12A, the 12B, and the recently discovered 12C. There are differences on the 12A and B, main being the, the back of the card. On the 12A, they mentioned the words laser light and sound on, on the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter. And Palatoy, they, maybe due to budget, they, they cut corners and they didn't include electric in their early vehicles. So they, they removed those words on the cards to correspond with the toys that they did release. So the words laser light and sound were removed on the back of the cars, hence the 12B. And later down the line, they took into consideration the release of the diecast vehicles because the text on the very top of the 12-back card was, was amended and basically stating that the, the figures would fit inside the, the non-diecast large vehicles. Uh, and it's the sort of thing you'd expect today, isn't it? Like, it's like, yeah. what sort of numpty would think that that figure was going to fit in that I, little I, tiny I, I know, that's, yeah, exactly. Falcon. Totally. I had to, yeah, get that one in another checklist, yeah. You'd get an A4 right. leaflet today telling you that that's, that was Yeah, happen. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A set of instructions. It, yeah, it's it's interesting because, I mean, the, the, like, the, the Han Solo, which would appear to be released in, you know, in, in the middle wave, the wave two, it, it's only ever been found on the on the A card, and I don't know. As, as I was talking to Gary, it's like you, you've got to think of it from not a collector's point of view, from a business point of view. I don't know whether they just produced so many of the the A cards they didn't have to make any B cards for Han if they deemed that he was going to be a popular seller. So I mean, it, it makes sense with the Jow because that that was one of the last figures to be released and. You know, I talked to a few collectors and they remember the Jow being very hard to find back in the day. It was a tough one to get as a kid. Jow has only been found on the B card, which would make sense being in the in the wave three release of the of the twelves. On the on the Jawa while we're there then, so the vinyl cake Jawa, that was only, you know, relatively recently that's been acknowledged to exist for a long time. It was seen as something that didn't ever come over to the UK, but that, yeah. that isn't the case, right? So there's there's a few of those knocking about now. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how many have turned up in recent years. It's like now there seems to be more carded vinyl cake jar palatoids than, than 12 back large head harm, which is crazy. But were, you a, were, you a, were you a cynic of that back in the day, Dave? I, I was. That... I, I must admit, I was. I, I, I thought it didn't exist because I just, you know, at the time there wasn't strong enough evidence. You know, a lot of people were saying, yeah, they definitely had it to kid. Then the question is, did you have it on a Kenner card? Because... You know, there was a lot of Kenner imports. People could buy Kenner stuff over here as well as Palatoy. I was looking over the, the forums and it, it was around 2013 there was a big debate going on about whether it was, you know, whether it was legitimate or not. And it, it, it didn't help that, so the, the first one that... Sort of <laughs> I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was in the hands of a very notorious dealer in, in Wales, I believe. And that, that really didn't help things. So a lot of people were very skeptical about that. But to be honest, you know, anyone that saw the actual piece, they, they couldn't really see anything wrong with it. Jim Stevenson, he had a good look at it and he couldn't fault it, but he wouldn't put his name to it. Actually, a, a friend of mine in the hobby, he, he ended up buying it. I think he bought it in 2012 and <laughs> he, he sent it to AFA for grading. We were expecting sort of when it turned up at AFA for the, you know, the, the record 
to be scratched and the music stopped and thinking, whoa. And it didn't appear that happened because they, they graded it casually and they didn't even include a certificate of authenticity with it. You know, for, for any sort of pieces like that that they would acknowledge as being, you know, that kind of a piece, they, I think they'd automatically have a CEO with it. But this one, they didn't bother. It, it got graded and authenticated and sent back. And um, I was um, massively in the camp of I, I don't think they exist. No. Uh, and that was for no other reason than lack of evidence up to that point. Yeah. Uh, because you had anecdotal, as, as what John was like saying, of people saying, oh, well, I had one as a kid and all this sort of stuff. But you, you cannot, you, you're talking when you're about four or five years old. Yeah. You yeah. cannot with certainty say, yes, it was on a Palatoy logo card. You know, right. you know, your mind plays tricks on you. But the fact that even by that point, Star Wars collecting had been active for a great many years you know it'd been arguably going on since the, the mid 90s with the falcon society doing like their empire days and things like that you know they're, they're and, and, and we're talking hundreds of people going to these things not yeah. just like one or two people and when yeah. you've got so many traders at like with the likes of the aforementioned jim stevenson they would yeah. have come across these things by by that point because we're talking Correct. 15 odd years and, and yeah, then it's, it's been in, in investigated and, and yeah, studied that, and looked at and, and, and not one had turned up. So And uh, there was the odd collector who would sort of argue, well, it's, it's on the it's on the box of like the cardboard Death Star. And it's like, yeah, it, well, yeah, because they were when they were doing the photography of that, they're using stuff that was sent to them as samples you know that's yeah. just standard product design you know it's not exactly like, it's, it's not like the a, on the back of a meccano card yeah the square card with a blue snaggle tooth yeah it, so, it, 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 it doesn't mean anything when it comes to like packaging just no. just you're saying john that at some point the stormtrooper had like the hoth stormtrooper rifle on the card back it didn't mean that all yeah. of a sudden there was like running changes you know it, 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 no. these, these things are these things just happen and they, they end up in, in the packaging. But that was always that was always like a counter to me, an argument that, oh, well, that legitimizes it. It's like, no, it doesn't. You know, no, doesn't now matter. I I will say that I am impressed how many things have come out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, it but there is still a part of me that thinks, how come? Well, this taken, is it. I know where you're going. I mean, how, how come it's taken till now for this? Yeah. When you've and, had and, and how come that so many have showed up in this short period of time? That, yeah, that doesn't that, look good, does it? Like, as in, yeah, that that <laughs> you've got the likes of, and again, let, let let's be completely honest. The fact that like Anthony Emshowitz had pulled the wool over everybody's eyes as well yeah. for so long. Yeah. Um, but how come people who were in the industry, like Jim Stevenson, like Offworld? Um, yep. Like Modeler's Laugh, like Anthony Emshowitz before, you know, the, the, the poop hit the fan with, with, with what he was doing. And Carl Flattery, you know, there's lots of traders who were, who were dealing in Star Wars toys for a very long time. And it's not like any of them ever said, oh yeah, no, I've had a few of those, you know, here, there, well, or, or whatever. Controversial, Dave. Controversial. <laughs> and, and, but it is, but, but that's what makes yeah, it yeah. so great. 
How yeah. about the two the two that turned up in the Aston's find a couple yeah. of years back? You know, in yeah. that guy's that guy's loft and garage. There were two with Hamley's one had a Hamley's price tag on, and one had the nameplate cut out, didn't it? There was one intact, and then one had the nameplate cut out. Oh sure, I mean, I that the the more that comes about, and then the provenance behind it lends more credence to it. Well, well that's actually when when I saw that with the nameplate cut out, that actually was was a was a real positive to it yeah. existing, you know, because that that says or suggests that somebody back in the day cut out the nameplate for a promotion or an offer. Lends more credence to to so, it. Yeah, yeah and there, what else would with that find as well? It was just yeah. I think that was. But yeah. but it's it, it is also well, staggering that nothing else has ever come up up to that point when you had people who were like buying collections yeah. left, right, and centre yeah. before before we were ever you know even thinking about this or, or like the internet or something like yeah. that. There must Absolutely. have been so few because like we said already, they only came out on that B card. They missed the A. Maybe they just very 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 few of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, there wasn't you know much time. Between the changes, as you know, has any others except the Hamley's price tag? Has any others had price tags on any of the other known examples? Don't know because Hamley's would have been a prime, like you mentioned, David, uh, earlier. That would have been a prime account to get stock to, wouldn't it? So, whether they kind of hmm. got shipped immediately and there was only a kind of 100 cent out before they changed it, who knows what the numbers were? But yeah, yeah. So in terms of those sort of grail figures, then, so when people start talking about DT lightsabers, there were, there haven't been any Palatoy 12-backs with DTs on. That's that's not a thing, is it? No, I don't believe so. I've, I've never heard of anything um, like that again. The, the, the double telescopings are so early on, and uh, out of the three, I think the, the Luke is by far the most common. The, the, the other two are extremely scarce so you know there's there's so little of those and, and it was probably such a small window mm. uh, I no I've, I've not ever heard of anything Palatoy did with the double telescopings would have been nice but <laughs> and you mentioned at the start John about how kind of you were talking about the, the, the Luke and how iconic that is and yeah. your favourite piece in your collection in, yep. in terms I don't want to go into specific prices because we'll, 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 we'll end up dating the podcast but in terms <laughs> of price equivalents if you were to buy a, a set of Kenner 12-backs and a set of Palatoy 12-backs, how, how much price difference are you talking about, do you think? Well, it's, it's quite interesting because, I mean, with, with Kenner, you've got like a, a bigger market and some of the Kenner stuff, I mean, <laughs> I'll give an example. I mean, this is like an extreme. One of the very expensive dealers in the States, they too long ago had a 12-back uh, a Luke and they described it as the rookie card of the rookie card of the rookie card, and that meant it was a, a twelve. It was a twelve A card, and it had the skew, and it was a double telescoping saber, and they, they had a hundred thousand dollar price tag on that piece. You know, wow. I don't know if it's sold. Kenner is in. in <laughs> sometimes Kenner can sell for for more than than Palatoy. You know, um, especially if it's got that magical high AFA grade on it. I mean, there are people out there that, that, that would pay a fortune for, for some of that stuff, especially the skew figures, which is basically on on the, you know, where, where the figure sits and just behind, I think it's at the foot of the figure, there's like a skew number. And, and those are the very first carded kind of 12 bucks that were released. So really, that you know, there's not much in it these days, I don't think. 
the top end. You think end. that's specific, specific for 12 backs? So, right? so I, could, I mean, to give you some sort of idea, I, I sold in, in 2013, I, I sold a, a set of first 20 figures, but I actually, I kept back Luke, so... On, was, on Kenner or Palatoy? No, th- this was on, on Palatoy. Uh, in fact, I did actually sell a set of Kenner in 2002. I sold a set of the first 21 for, I think it was £9,000. And in 2013, I sold 18... Well, it's actually 19, because I had the large head Han as well. And I sold the set for, it was, I think it was £28,000. Wow. And that was in 2013. I think today, if you had a mint set of Palatoy 12-backs, just a, just a 12-back, I mean, you, you could be talking north of 30, possibly 40,000, maybe even more if they're all graded, top-end top graded. Yeah, look, they're up to me. So I think I've got one. I've got Vader on a 12, and that's, well, that's well, where we meet. Well, there you go, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a good one to have, so don't knock it. Yeah, no, 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 no. Our, our most iconic villain in in cinematic history. Yeah, it's a good one to have. Anything else on action figures? Then it it, it just would be interesting to know exactly when the <laughs> the vinyl cape Jawa stopped and the and the cloth cape started, and, and the same with the large head Han. I mean, I, I mean, we we know it was, it was towards the end of the twelve back line they changed. I think it'd be they interesting as we go as we go through these shows, these kind of mysteries, because that, that's yeah. a mystery. We could almost have a list of questions or, or yeah. unanswered questions that we could put out there to get some clarity on. But I think some of this stuff's just going to end up, yeah, we just we'll never know. I don't think. No, so we'll get no. we'll get to the twelve backs on thirty back cards as well. With oh yeah, that's characters and well, <laughs> well, yeah, that's another yeah yeah. The year is 1978, and Palatoy bring you Star Wars. Here on Death Star, Ben Kenobi combats the awesome power of Darth Vader, while Han and Leia battle for their lives in the trash compactor. Luke evades the stormtroopers with R2, D2, and C-3PO, but can he escape in the X-Wing fighter? Only you will know. Only you can create your own Star Wars. Death Star, vehicles, figures, all sold separately. May the Force be with you. All right, then, Dave, do you want to make a start on the vehicles and play sets, then? All right, so where we were setting up the picture of the, the difference in the retail landscape, some of the biggest differences with the Palatoy release of Star Wars products in the UK came with, like, the vehicles and play sets and are more symptomatic of those reasons that we're saying that you were dealing with all, like, these independent toy retailers and you needed to get like cost price down to make it appealing to them and interesting there's a couple of different ways you could do it some of it is alternatives used in the build some of it is cost reduction some of it is stripping out electronics and in some cases don't offer the product at all so we didn't get like the same lineup that kenna had available at that point in time we had a reduced sort of debut showing of the land speeder the x-wing fighter and the tie fighter for that very first year in with respect to the the land speeder and the the x-wing changes were made to strip out and reduce the cost of those so first of all 
if we look at the X-Wing, it, uh, the, the Kenner X-Wing has uh, electronic light and sound and a molded engine block at the back. The Palatoy version doesn't have those. And the engine block at the back is a sticker. And that was to reduce down that price point. For the Land Speeder, it didn't have the pop-open hood and like the, the silver bumpers or fenders were like sticker. a sticker rather than like a yeah rather like than a molded, something molded or something. yeah molded piece yeah. that goes around it and in both of those cases they had unique packaging as well so they're quite yeah. popular with uh, with collectors because it uh, features different photography photography was done by neville chadwick associates i believe who would do a lot of like the toy photography you, side you of know things. why they didn't do it with a tie fighter and the, and the no Honestly, have no idea. All I can yeah. think of is that perhaps that was because that product was more or less just shipped in. Yeah. So that was freighted over and slapped a sticker on it to then say, you know, distributed in the UK by Palatoy and then just went out on the shelves. I don't know why the decision was made to like not alter the, the, the TIE Fighter when you'd already altered the X-Wing. Yeah. Uh, but it, again, it may be down to the availability of the product that Kenner was prepared to shift units over. It's 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 one of those things that you get like conflicting information. So you probably got to go on what was really the business case for it. We sometimes apply these things from the point of view of, of a, like a collector's mentality, and it's it that's never that, that, never that's exactly. The, yeah, never the case when it comes to actually like toy retail. You know, yeah, even today, like toy companies don't think about the collector; they're just thinking about right. what what's best for them. I, uh, I'd imagine the X Wing would have outsold the Tie Fighter what two to one at least. Oh yeah, yeah. but yeah. even when you look at like the, we mentioned the the, the the twelve back B card that had the yeah. had the text removed, so there must yeah. have been some intention to do it, or at least the thought that they would do it. Because even after Star Wars came out, in the years we leading after this, you didn't get a Palatoy branded Tie Fighter until they released the Battle Damage version in '83. So. Yeah. It must have been a, you know, it would have been a popular, even if the X-Wing outsold it, it would have been a popular fire, surely. Yeah. It was also scarce, wasn't it? It was scarce. I don't yeah. remember seeing many I, I of them. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. And again, that may be, you know, down to the, that, that distribution agreement that was like made or, or struck up because we had that there, but then there wasn't then available manufacturing slots available or tooling available. And then... It was like, well, if you want more of these, you're going to have to make your own tools for them to, like, manufacture your own. And it might be like, oh, I don't know if we can afford that. (laughs) Because up to this point, everything is all about reducing the cost of of things. It was not so much a soft introduction of, like, the vehicles and and playsets for for 78. It was more really to, like, get it to a point that, was appealing to like the retailers because again big differences between the retail landscape in the UK versus the retail landscape in the US even though they had lots of single independent toy shops there you had an awful lot more chain stores and home shopping catalogs and things like that so they were able to like take a a bigger chunk of real estate and invest more but like here when you you're talking like you know mom and pop types sort of set up stores and things like that until this thing approved itself it was 
you know, difficult to get like the buy-in on that. Of course, we know once it did take off, all hell breaks loose and we'll, we'll take anything we can get our hands on, which is partly where you started getting Kenner carded and branded stuff over here to like meet that demand. You know, we're like sourcing it through, through other like avenues, but it was a reduced cost down engineered product offering. Uh, initially now one of the things that is also mentioned previously in in the tv advert was the cardboard death star which is arguably an iconic piece for star wars palatoy i'm not sure exactly when that was offered but it wasn't offered at the very start but it was certainly on the table to be offered come the 79 like toy catalog but it was used in toy advertising in 1978 and i've got here certainly the the iconic one that there was a television campaign that was around about may time but they were still airing that death star advert up until around about september of 78 so the death star playset is a flat packed cardboard dome uh, that simulates one half of the Death Star. Now, again, this this is a good example where, where Palatoy used their skills and design and adaptability to create, uh, reduce down the cost of the, the X-Wing and the Land Speeder. The Death Star playset as a Kenner toy is a big old thing. And I think it was would have been too expensive, certainly in, in that initial lineup. I've also heard stories of that it that product wasn't available to Palatoy, so it came to Palatoy to design their own. So God, it did. Yeah, and th- th- this thing is is die cut and you self assemble it. So number one, it's flat pack. That's a good thing because you can get more on a pallet. And then because the cost of distribution is lower because you can get more on on there. It's also self-assembly, so you don't have to pay someone to assemble it. Because if you think about it, your X-wing is fully assembled. All you got to do is put the guns on. That's it. So someone's actually like physically assembled that. So, but like if you get the the end user to assemble it, you don't have to pay that. So that brings down the cost even more. And then finally, where it's made out of cardboard, it's a cheaper product material than plastic and the, the, the setup costs of like plastic injection molding for like the tooling and stuff like that but also where it's been designed to like withstand the weight of a child that was like one of the design briefs for it if you knacker it you got to buy another one <laughs> you know yeah. so so there is a, a phrase in in the design in, in product design called designed redundancy and that is when it's it's got a an intentional lifespan so that you've either got a by the next upgrade, like so, your mobile phone is is a good example of that. Or designed obsolescence uh, is, is the phrase. Sorry, or you break it and you've got to replace it with a new one. Uh, so, like creative art sets is a good example of that. Paint by numbers, you know, you fluffed it up, you've got to like get another one out. So that then was a cheap product to be able to get out. It was then made it into a big product. You know, once you've assembled this thing, and was just such an in- incredible playset to like have. Uh, getting a hold of one now is a challenge because again it's cardboard yep. and there's lots of bits that can be easily ripped torn shredded or, or like crushed or just missing you know as, as years go by but getting hold of a mint one is a bloody challenge that's yeah. for sure yeah, yeah yeah well that's where you got two high standards there john you know yeah. you, you, yeah. you, 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 sometimes you've got to compromise it goes, it goes like, against me i know yeah <laughs> yeah but, but, but that, it, that's that is why, Dave. I don't own one. I don't actually own a Death Star. 
Really? If I, I, yeah, if I if I owned one, I'd want a mint one. You know, it's just it's difficult. I, I had my chance and I and I fluffed it to be honest. So, yeah, I don't I don't own a Desta. I sold one to um to Stuart about oh it must be six or seven years ago, and it was really nice. And yeah, the, the, the canopy was clear. People were crazy. Really, not, we had a, it was it was legit. I, I was I was happy that with the guy that I bought it from. He was just well, selling a bunch I mean, of stuff. I mean, that's impressive to, to find a clear canopy. So I have, I recently went, I think Pete, you were there as well, we went to Stu's and he'd set it all up, yeah. he had it in a carrier bag for God knows how long, but he's finally right. set it all up and I thought, oh, actually, I need one of these back in my life. So I've I've recently purchased one as well and luckily it's all complete. The box is a bit knackered on it, but the, the, yeah, everything else is there and it's the most fun to put together. It's brilliant. I've done an unboxing on, on a YouTube on the Generation Skywalker channel. I saw that. Great. That was great. That was really great, yeah. So it's, but it is, it is a fantastic piece. And it's funny when you look on all the videos on YouTube and people look, you know, Kenner versus Palatoy Death Stars, you know, there's a lot more Americans in the world than there are British and they yeah. tend to say the, the Kenner one, but yeah, I can't see it myself. I really can't. No argument. Oh, I, 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 think, I think deep down they know the truth. To be <laughs> I just won't admit it. Yeah, there's no question. There's a, there is none. It's not even close. It really isn't. It is an unbelievable design. It's right up there with, I don't know, the Coke bottle or whatever. It is just yeah. unbelievable. It's it so sturdy as well. The way it all clips together, it is so yeah. sturdy for what it is. It's, it's yeah. brilliant. And even like the, 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 the drawings of all the individual stormtroopers in there, if you've only got a couple of stormtroopers like figures, you've got all that to play yeah. around there. You've got the trash compactor with a Dianoga yeah. in there. It's, it's great. Everything. Yeah, yeah, it's great fun. Brilliant. Yeah, it screams. It screams that era, doesn't it? It's, it's the most iconic piece, I think, to the entire the entire run of all movies. A friend of mine, he he actually owns the one that Jim had and sold. I do get to see a clean one, <laughs> but he he won't let it go, which is the, the right. You know, I, I advise him not to. You know, so it's is that a box a bit, one you're talking about? Just getting. Oh yeah, yeah. And so before that find of the sealed ones the the best you could hope for was to find one like my friend had which was again was you know unrealistic you probably wouldn't find one and I think Jim got hold of two out of a shop clearance many years ago the one that he held back was the best of the two and that was the one that my friend bought from him at, at the time it was like a eye-watering sum of money but today it's actually well that probably snap your hand off for that price and and it's just it's a completely mint, unused one. I think the the big bag is still sealed. The, the the little bag, I think the tape popped, but it's just untouched, and the box is absolutely lovely. So, yeah. Excellent. There you go. I remember even in the 70s, it would be a treat to go to the toy shop to look at one. That would you Yeah. <laughs> but it's sort of Saturday <laughs> treat. Who's in the picture on the on the cover again? Isn't that one of the, the designer's children? Or yeah. Dave Barnacle's son. Right? Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got a picture of them filming it as well. Oh well. From the, the the TV advert, which is which is quite neat. But yeah, so the, the Dave Barnacle's son is is on on the the, the packaging. You had like a different kid, you know, as part of like the TV side of things, which is you know it, it was it was all about selling the sizzle, not the sausage. You know that that you you had like this whole amazing thing you could be part of. And, and uh, you know, if if you could hassle your your parents to to go and buy one, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I know I know you haven't got you, you won't remember it, John, because you're the same as me, a bit younger than Pete and Dave by the sounds of it. But Pete, Dave, did either of you have have, have it as a child to play? Did you actually play with one of these as a kid? No, mm. I never. 
I never actually, I can't remember ever seeing it on the shelves, but I do remember seeing it in a store. And it's one of those things that, again, uh, you, you, your brain plays tricks on you. Because I remember going to Hamley's and seeing the Death Star and like going, oh, my God, and telling all your mates at school and things like this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Dave, you know, like, you know, <laughs> shut up. But it's like, no, they had the Death Star. And like now I know that, that it was two cardboard Death Stars clipped together as, you know, in, in, as, as a display thing in the department. But because you're looking at it from, you know, a short height looking up in the air, you know, where it's like hanging from the ceiling or whatever. Yeah. To you, it's the Death Star, you know. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that and I just being completely like, <gasps> but not knowing it was, a, a product or, or two products like clipped together. I always just remember seeing that and it just blew me away. I think it was my brother's in my brother's year at school. We had Steve, you know Steve Kember, the footballer who used to play for Crystal Palace. His son was in my school. I remember going to his house and he had to have all of the playsets laid out in his room. It was nice, pretty crazy. <laughs> well, I think um, Gary. It was Gary said to me that. Christmas morning, he woke up and it was all set up for him. The desk star, I think his dad put it together for him. Craig Spivey's told the same. Wow, well, that, I yeah. mean, that's, that's brilliant. What, what a morning to wake up to that, you know. Just... Craig's, yeah, Craig's got the photo of him with it, hasn't he? Oh, that's, that's priceless. First of what the makers of Star Wars hope will be thousands of queues started forming at 7am outside London's Dominion Cinema. Brought out by a publicity campaign of unprecedented proportions, the audience knew what they were after. Uh, well, we wanted to get in and see it on the only unreserved show, and it's booked through on the book all shows right until March. And we couldn't afford to wait that long. And the prestige of being able to save seeing Star Wars is something akin to royalty, really. The film, which has already outstripped the legendary Jaws as a money spinner in America, tells an outer space war story with strange monsters, robots and special effects all made in British studios. Shall we move on then to the last size action figures then, Pete? Yes. Well, yeah, the first two, the Luke and Leia, which are the only two that were ever released on the Pallet Toy boxes, but unfortunately, would have been lovely to have all, uh, all of them on there. So they got completely mixed up. So those two were the only two that got put through on Pallet Toy, and the rest got Dennis Fisher and Meccano, which we'll get to. But these two, as far as I'm aware, I've never done sort of complete like for like, but I believe they are identical toys to the sort of the Kenner versions and indeed the Dennis Fisher versions. And from what I could tell, these were released in 78 and the rest of the line in 79. So these were these two bought forward, do you think, then, for a release before the rest of the line to get them out before Christmas? Yeah, I think they were sort of a hard push on retail, like going back to Craig's book again, sort of there's a Jeff Maisie, he talks to him about it and he says the 12 inch line was a real tough ask for the retail. They're seeing a lot of retailer resistance to them at the moment, which I guess on the back of the success of the six million dollar man, you'd think they would be kind of up for a bit more, especially they've seen the, the, the pull of Star Wars. You would have thought that may have been a, a line they'd go for. So maybe they just thought, well, let's take a gamble on probably the two most saleable ones, the Luke and the Leia, and, and see where we go. But yeah, I, I always thought that they came about after the amalgamation of like Dennis Fisher into the Palatoy company. And that is where they came about. But as you said, Dan, they are featured in the wholesale catalogue. And they're also mentioned in the internal Palatoy newsletter as well in January of 78. 
talking about the release of Star Wars product, and, he, and in there they yeah. are mentioning that there'll be two 12-inch figures of Luke and Leia as part of their initial launch setup. So I honestly have no recollection or or idea or any other evidence to like show that they were there. But like, again, using that kind of like based on, on the, the relative making sense of things, they were then featured in the amalgamation of like Dennis Fisher into like the Palatoy company. But they are they are also featured in the the catalogues for seventy nine as well. So it's a bit confusing. It, it yeah. it's one of those things that it, it, Another one on the list of mysteries. <laughs> yeah. But, but again again that's like part of the fun. It it kind of yeah. brings in like the debate and thoughts into this. Because again, as as much as you might get it from the horse's mouth to a degree it's a job that those people were doing over 40 years ago. Mm. I struggle with like what was happening last week. So let alone anything longer than that. When you're looking at printed information, is it actually correct or is it part of like the, the sort of build up for it? So it, 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 it's one of those areas that, you know, it, we're going on along with it for the moment, but it actually, we, we, we might all be wrong, <laughs> you know, and it may be, you know, it was a hundred percent all like Dennis Fisher until the point where Dennis Fisher was not Dennis Fisher. But the fact, yeah, because there's a lot of the Luke and the Leia turn up. They're hard to get. Well, they do turn up like mint boxed ones do turn up and, and trade boxes have turned up with both of them, haven't they? And you see a lot more of the, the Luke and the Leia on the Palutoy and there's, they're probably the rarest two on Dennis Fisher, aren't they? Certainly yeah. Luke is one of the hardest to get. Yeah, you definitely don't see as many on Dennis Fisher. I, I remember I got, I don't have any more, but this was in the 90s. I picked up a sealed layer doll, and apparently it was part of a case that was found in Oxfam. Oh, wow. I think I think they're in cases of six. And, the Palatoy um, one. Yeah, the Palatoy it, one it was a Palatoy yeah. layer. I got the, the last one from the case, apparently. And it was crazy because it, it wasn't even on top of the table. It was like underneath. And I was walking past the table and I saw this layer door and I thought, mm, that looks quite nice. I thought, it looks a bit too nice to be under the table. <laughs> it, it was a fully sealed, like, clean one, you know. Um, wow. Yeah, crazy. So I, I, I picked it up. Um, I wish I had it today because I've got a mint sealed loot one. I've got no layer to keep in company <laughs> anymore. So, yeah. They are nice, though. I do like them. Very nice. Very nice indeed, yeah. On that debate, I am looking at the 79 tray catalogue yeah. price list, and there is no 12-inch listed on here. Interesting. So it is only mentioned at the point before the line was out for the 78 for the Luke and Leia. So it may they may not have actually come out until yeah. about 1980 or so. I'll, I'll, I'll do some more, but it, it, may, it may well be that they, they weren't out when we think that they were out. Yeah. I, I've... I've never looked in because I've got no interest in the 12 figures. Because <laughs> they, they were crap compared to us. Oh. Action Man from Palatoy. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like limited compared to Action Man. But like, I'm, I'm literally looking at these, these price lists. Which one's this one? This one's a 78. And it's on the 78, but it's not on the 79. So I wonder if it was a case that like, no Dennis Fisher did get the full distribution on those because when Dennis Fisher Dennis Fisher literally only like lived for about a year or so because I think it was like seventy nine that it then became the Palatoy Company and then that was when Dennis Fisher was amalgamated in and Chad Valley was amalgamated and so if you think of the insert. 
that is with the Empire Strikes Back toys, the very first one, Luke and Leia are on those inserts. Yeah, the the poster. And you've got Dennis Fisher. There was Dennis Fisher kits for the MPC models. And then the MPC models then became Airfix. uh, Because Dennis Fisher was completely like dropped. But Airfix was also acquired by Palatoy during that time as well. So I wonder if all those Luke and Leia's on Palatoy boxes are post- Palatoy Company inception, mm. and and you got Boba Fett because you don't have Boba Fett on a Dennis Fisher, do you? Mm. I'll have a look. Yeah. Into it. Maybe when we do the next episode, we might have we might we'll touch upon Boba Fett, and maybe we can talk about it more then as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. That could be yeah. big deal. <laughs> there you go. Very good. Okay, go. so we're gonna we're gonna head over to Craig now. And we're gonna talk about some of the Beyond the Toys items that Palatoy released in 1978. Hey, Craig, how you doing? I'm doing good, mate. So we have been we have been discussing Palatoy for the last hour or so. Dave's gone into a bit of detail, but hoping you can give us a deeper dive into some of these Beyond the Toys items. Indeed, yeah. I've I've broken it down. I've broken it down into role play, games, crafts, and then we've Very got. Good. Then we've got a rogue one in a category all of its own. What area do you want to do first then? So let's do let's do role play because I think that's probably the closest to you know the, the, the toy line. And one of the more notable pieces was the the inflatable lightsaber, which essentially was the same as the Kenner version. A yellow inflatable tube attached to a torch. <laughs> sounds it was, crazy, doesn't it? It just sounds it just sounds naff, doesn't it? <laughs> It was it was never a great interpretation of the mechanics of a lightsaber, and I think as well by you know it, it's worth considering that by the time this was released, it was competing against more you know robust knockoffs like the Force Beam. Yes. Which which you could have a you know lightsaber battle in your in your garden with your next door neighbour with. So this sort of pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> wobbly inflatable thing was probably the, the flop that it sounds you know it's hard to find <laughs> in a palatoy branded box today right. which suggests to me that they were quite short-lived and not made in great quantities so that's as far as role play weapons and things went but they did do a range of masks so there was Darth Vader, Stormtrooper, C-3PO a sand person and Chewbacca so the more well, the less human ones that, yes. that, 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 you know, that were around. But these were made by Ben Cooper and they were distributed by Palatoy. So they were sold at retail from a very elusive display box. I'm not sure any collectors own one today. I have only seen photographs of them in the, the catalogues. But once you took them out of the display, they're indistinguishable from their US counterparts. They've got a little paper Ben Cooper label stapled in there with the elastic band. I think the only possible exception to that is the Vader. So the Palisoy versions of the Vader mask tend to have these white details in the mouthpiece and white rings around their eyes. But most of the other ones are sort of indistinguishable from the loose masks that, that, that Ben Cooper made and sold. I've still got the ones I bought as a kid and the one, wow. my, and the one my dad wore to a Halloween fancy dress party in 1979. So what did your dad go as? He went as C-3PO. Oh, I think I remember you saying that before, yeah. He made an R2-D2 out of a... Uh, oh, that was it, maybe, yeah. and my, my space hopper and uh, roller skates. <laughs> so were, but, they, were those masks just sold loose, were they? They weren't in any sort of box, they were just in a display and you just took the one that you wanted? 
Yeah, yeah, that's okay. my memory of it. So let's look at games. So there's three games. There's Destroy the Death Star game, which is not to be confused with Escape the Death Star game, which is an underrated bit of kit exclusive to Palatoy and was a reworked version of an electronic Parker Palatoy Etch-a-Sketch meets Battleship style game called Salvo, which was a battery-operated thing where players moved their little fighters which were shaped pieces of transparent perspex across the game board, and players would sort of use these Etch-a-Sketch-style knobs to land on a coordinate, press a button, which would operate a small bulb. <laughs> and uh, if, you, if you lit up your target, it was destroyed, and if you didn't, it was a miss. So it was, yeah, I, I, I do own one of these. I wouldn't say it was hours of fun. I was going to say, is it, it sounds really cool, but is it? <laughs> uh, it's just, a, it's just a little bit clunky. It's, it's from that era before electronic games got sophisticated. Yeah. But you know, I see why they saw Salvo and went, oh, hang on a minute, we can, uh, we can revise this. So I think it's, I think it's a, a, an underrated item. Like I say, it's, uh, it's notable for being huge. It's a big thing. It's a big. Mm. Box. Uh, and what I've always personally enjoyed about it is that the the graphics on the front misalign the Star Wars logo. <laughs> it's I remember you fun. saying when we spoke to Bob, you mentioned that to him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of a bit skewed because of the size of the box. They get a bit battered, and it's that sort of slightly more lower quality, not thin, but more kind of box, you know, packing box style cardboard that's been printed. So it gets very scuffed. That one that you had as a kid? It's one I bought when I got back into collecting and was something I saw on eBay and I thought, I've not seen one of those before. So I bought it and it's, you know, it works. It's not in beautiful conditions, but the instruction. But yeah, no Palatoy collection is complete without the Destroy the Death Star game. It is cool. So the other one, the Escape the Death Star game is... It's one of those very quick-to-market, traditional spin-the-spinner-and-advance style games, which was aimed at the over-sevens and was recreated across the globe and achieved charity shop ubiquity (laughs) here in the UK. You know, that must have been thousands and thousands of these. The the sizzle copy on the back of the box makes it sound more exciting than it is. Do you want me to read that out to you? Yeah, go for it. Okay, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo and Chewbacca are trapped in the Death Star trash compactor. It's your challenge to help them escape to the freedom of the rebel base. R2-D2 spins out your moves, but you must decide what passageways to follow. The safe way is the long way. And time is running out. You must turn off the tractor beam and pick up a pair of secret plans. Will you take the shortcuts that risk encounters with the Force? You will if you're daring, and could be the first to board the Millennium Falcon. Fight your way through TIE Fighters and reach the rebel base to win. <laughs> oh dear! I had one as a kid. I used to play it again. It was one of those things that yeah, we didn't have a lot of ways to no. keep us alive. So it was one yeah. of one of the things alongside you know top cards and, and letter set that that I used to sort of engage with quite a lot as a kid. Really, yeah, um, yeah. There's still there's dishwater now, but do you want a fun fact about the Escape the Death Star game? Oh yes, please. <laughs> My one and only tattoo is a tattoo of R two D two, which is based on the image of R two D two. Off one of these force cards. Wow. Which I traced and photocopied <laughs> so it was massive and only realised that the image was flipped 
on the card just before the tattoo was got needle out. <laughs> so did you go did you flip it back the right way after then? Did you? <laughs> we flipped it back the right way. Oh, good. Good. You know, a few people have put together runs of all the international ones, which I think is is quite cute, especially the Japanese one, which is which is beautiful, sort of a little bit different to uh, to the others. Bringing up the trilogy of games is the Adventures of R two D two, which was was basically a rebadged Kenner version, aimed at sort of four to eight year olds. So it was a much mm. more simple, more brightly coloured, you know. Snakes and Ladders style, you know, travel along a path style game. Uh, yeah. Some of the exciting complexities of uh, escaping the Death Star. It's quite, it's quite pretty. It's not the centerpiece of my collection by any, <laughs> by any stretch. So the other area I've got is crafts, and I think the, the you know, the, the tent pole of that for me because I love it is Play-Doh set. Yes. So Play-Doh, obviously, perennial favourite since the 60s in the UK. And around that time, Palette already released a Bionic Woman set. And uh, who who could forget the classic Barber's Shop, which was a great Play-Doh set. So a Star Wars adventure modelling set was a was a no-brainer, really. Came with three moulds, a couple of tubs of Play-Doh, plastic X-Wing, and a playmat. And again, there's an equivalent Kenner version, but the Palatoy version has a much cooler box and features that oh-so-70s sci-fi font, Data 70, which when you see it, you will recognise, because it was on everything back in the day. It's a, it's a nice box in keeping with the other stuff, whereas the American one is more in keeping with their Play-Doh line. Yeah. You know, it's sort of part of that set. Whereas um, things got a lot of yellow in it, the yellow borders and things. Whereas they had a bit more of a free reign with with the UK version. So sticking with the the craft section, we had a number of products that were all kind of tapping into that trend of colour in posters, and we were pretty much direct re-releases of Kenner Craftmaster products with a with a Palatoy logo. But I really like these these pieces. You know, they've got the dip dots especially have some. So we had a. 3D poster art set. Okay. A poster art set that just had two posters, which was a bit more basic, didn't have a 3D element. The dip dots and the plaints. So the 3D poster art set was a was a big kind of A2 size, maybe A1 uh, poster that you would colour in. And then they had this really super ambitious pop-out bit of card that would make a Vader mask or a vague approximation <laughs> of a Vader mask. The two posters that came as a set, which is something that I recently unearthed the, the sleeve for and what we based our uh, swag on for um, mm-hmm. they they were just basically um, posters that you would you would colour in and put on your wall. The plaints, which is a portmanteau of play and paints, was similar but came with a little tray of paints, watercolours that you would that you would use. And the dip dots were a scaled down version of that, so came in more of a pad. So a lot of a series of, of, of images that you were um, encouraged to paint and colour in, but they were sort of bound, you know, like when you get glued edge, uh, like a yeah. notebook together. So they would come in a little box with a smaller tray of paints and a paintbrush, which were branded dip dots. <laughs> so were they like paint by numbers? With no, they were completely free play. Nothing on the back to to follow, but they are beautiful bits of artwork. Very, very, very seventies. I think the Ben mm. Kenobi one's my favourite, but you know some great, great graphics. And I think again, this stuff is of its time. And if people are interested in this area, 
I wrote an extensive blog on the subject, which you can read at generationskywalker.com and just click on the menu at the top where it says blogs and scroll down to, um, I think it's the unproduced poster, yes. um, which sort of sparked uh, a deep dive into this into this stuff. And it's quite rare, you know, it's quite rare that this stuff comes up today. Uh, with the Palatoy logo, you see much more of it with the Kenner logo, but I think you know, amongst this, the, the plaint set, you know, is, is is super rare and only recently been proven to actually exist with a with a Palatoy logo. So, you know, when people get excited about Milo Cape Jowers on Palatoy cards. I get excited about plaint sets. <laughs> Very good. And have you got all three of those? Ah, I've got I've got a Kenner plaints. Which is okay. sort of loose, nailed together with a bit of calm and a bit of acetate. I've got the Kenner 3D poster and I've got Kenner dip dots, but I do have the Palatoy sleeve and the, for the two poster set. So yeah, mm. yeah, it's really, just really hard to get hold of. Yeah, 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 yeah. You wouldn't <laughs> think so, would you? But there you go. They, well, they Crazy. would have got done thrown away like so many of this uh, ephemeral stuff. So sitting in. An activity section all of its own is the Star Wars High Flyer Keel Kite, which I think is more famously known for being an extensively advertised promotion with Outer Spacer Crisps. What is it? Just stop, you know, what, where does the keel come from? Is that the name of the brand or is it, is it the type of kite? All right. So let's, let's talk kite. So you think about a keel on a boat. Yes. Uh, it's a little bit of that protrudes out into the water. So the keel element of the keel kite means that it's not just a traditional triangular kite. It's got a little bit like of a fin on the back of it. That there's like a little fin and that's where you put the string. Right. It gives you a little bit more manoeuvrability. So yeah, I never saw these at retail, but they were available at retail. But they tapped into another trend of the time, which is kite flying, which mm. led by Peter Powell and his stunt kites and the you know, flying kites in the park was cool because you could do stuff with them. Uh, but this was pretty basic, to be fair. I mean, it was it was uh, yeah, a bit of polythene with a three-colour graphic of an X-Wing chasing down Darth Vader's TIE fighter. Something so it was, was it the same kite that they offered on the KP promotion? And was it exactly the same kite or was there a different one for that? Exactly the same. Exactly the same. So it featured like a, like a high-flyer sub-brand on the, the header card, which was a, a sub-brand of, of, of kites that I think Kenner made. And it, you know, it was, again, another U.S. product. So General Mills used this instead of Outer Spacer Crisps. You could send off proofs of purchase from cereals uh, and, and claim this super piece of kite technology. But, yeah, I've got very fond memories of it. I've got very fond memories of mine arriving after sending off my three empty Outer Spacer bags and a check for 95p, though I'm pretty sure that it didn't get much beyond its maiden flight. It was very easily... <laughs> Very easily broken. But I it, think that's what, what Dave was saying when he mentioned about keel kites. He was very excited. He got very excited about how they how flimsy they were, but everyone wanted a kite. Everyone had a kite in the seventies. Yeah, what it was a it, it was a real thing. So all of these exciting products were advertised in comics and magazines with the double page spread, which was which was headed Palatoy brings Star Wars toys to planet Earth. It's got some very, very simple line art representations of a range of the items mentioned above, along with the first nine action figures. Uh, and this ad would have run early 1978, as a lot of the products, if you if you read the 
little bits of copy beside them mm. are listed as being available in March or, you know, you can get these after Easter, which is sounds crazy now, doesn't it? To, to yeah. think you're in an ad. <laughs> so, well, these things, you can't have them yet, but, you know, get They're excited coming. about them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it says the Play-Doh was available in Easter. The masks were available in March. The figures were coming soon. <laughs> so, yeah, the kite was coming out in March. And this is February, right? So it's not a million miles away. Um, so, yeah, it was all going on. <laughs> That's March. We need to go and get a kite. Star Wars mania. Yeah. But, you know, that, that was just part of the the launch campaign um, that Palatoy were, were running. And they obviously knew that the action figures would be the main driver. And then they did a single page ad in a very, very similar style. You can tell the same artist did it, which ran under the heading, the toys of the film and featured the six heroes. Uh, so in shops, the campaign was supported by a full color photographic version of that ad, highly sought after by collectors as is the, the toys of the film are here window decal that was sent out to resellers that they could, you know, put in their shop windows and have the kids flocking in. Yeah, I, I don't think the UK had a, half as much of the point of sale material than that the US had. So items like this become iconic and highly prized. And then, of course, completists will go after, you know, the mini catalogs that came packed with things like the Death Star and the, the trade catalogs as well. I think ads are something that and, and promotional stuff are things that people get into when they've kind of collected all the toys and things that they want to. What's your favourite out of that lot then? Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. I think maybe the kite. I've just got such fond memories of that kite and I don't have one. <laughs> are they tough to find then? Yeah, they're all knackered, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then let's move on to 1979. So back to our, our fun fact. The biggest single of the year was Art Garfunkel's Bright Eyes from Watership Down. <laughs> wow. Happy song. Uh, topping the album charts was Blondie's Parallel Lines featuring Heart of Glass, Hanging on the Telephone in one way or another. The season one finale of To the Man and Born won out viewers on TV and had the highest ratings. And at the cinema, Bond was back with a space adventure, funnily enough, with Moonraker collecting 7.8 million at the UK box office. From Earth to the most spectacular adventure in space, Moonraker. It's out of this world. What exactly are you up to here, Drax? Moonraker 1, liftoff. Moonraker 2, liftoff. Moonraker 3, liftoff. Moonraker 4, liftoff. And that's very interesting because, as you know, at the end of the Bond movie, they tell you what's coming next. So at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me, it said James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. And of course, we know that that didn't happen. What came out, it was Moonraker. And that's because the world had gone nuts with sci-fi because of Star Wars. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you look at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me, it will say James Bond will return and for your eyes only, and that ended up coming out in 1981. That came out after Moonraker. Yeah. Yep. 
Wow, I, that's cool. I never knew Very that. Very cool indeed, mm. yep. <laughs> but, yeah. Nice, well done, John. That's a nice little fact, that is. That's all right. <laughs> so you can talk to us now a bit about Green Greedo. Read an article that they've did all about the UK, you know, advertising and how Palatoy took advantage of the weekly comics to promote their stuff. It, it was it was definitely a Palatoy thing. I don't think it was a Kenner thing. It's Green Greedo. It was. I think referred to twice in two separate ads, one being promotion on how to build a droid or build a droid, and then the other was the um, announcing of the second wave of the next line of Star Wars figures, which was the next eight. I've also seen it on the famous mini catalogue with the Death Star on the front. But we don't know for sure what toys they came in. I think it was a bit random, and it may have even been something you could pick up on the, I don't know, the desk of a of a toy shop, possibly. I mean, I, I've got my little mini catalogue in my, I think, in my land speeder. I keep it in there. That was a pretty cool spread of the next day, sort of looking at prototypes, and you had Green Greedo and Luke in flight suit and stuff like that. It also advertises Green Greedo on the special cantina set that Palator released with the, the figures included. He's on the sticker of, on the front of the box. You had, like, Brian Bolland doing a lot of the artwork as well, who is a famous uh, British comics artist, best known for things like uh, The Killing Joke, which is the Batman where the the Joker's taking the photograph and he's, cool. he's holding the camera vertically yeah. and stuff like that. And he did a lot of Judge Dredd and things like that. But a lot of British comics guys often worked for for toy companies to do their help with them with their advertising and, and things like that and because we would get comic books on a weekly basis it allowed them to be able to like deploy and and get new messages out a lot quicker than say monthly comics would uh yeah. so it was, a, it was a lot more reactive but like why green greedo i have no idea but i love it, it it's yeah. so cool and it, it'll probably like it'd just be like which one's Greedo? He's the green one. You know, yeah. if, you, if you imagine like the notes, and I say this because within the same realms, there is uh, another artist who uh, we I've got, well, I don't own it, Chloe does, who did all the airbrush work for a lot of My Little Pony packaging. And one of them is, is this, this My Little Pony birthing toy where uh, you squeeze the pony and like these little jelly bean... <laughs> Like, like literally, uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, and it's very—it's not like a foal; it's like a jelly bean. So it's more like a fetus. Nice. But on the on on this artwork, on this artwork, it says from the artist back to Hasbro saying, "Are you sure this is a good idea?" You know, so so there were notes exchanged like backwards and forwards, and I reckon that that that's the only thing I can think of is which one's Greedo? Greedo's the green one. And yeah. it right. hang around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's like Green Greedo. And then it, it just ended up in the copy, like more. And then the, the next job, oh, yeah, just like take the te- text from there and put it into that one. Because these, like I said, these things are more reactive rather than going through the checking and sign off approvals that you would normally do for like printing and stuff like that. And I, I reckon it, it, it'll be something really cool like that. And that's how it, how it got in there and out there and is now. The stuff of legends. Like, Such yeah. an obvious, obvious name. It's, it's a great, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, it, it was a pure 
Palator thing, wasn't it? It wasn't it wasn't uh, American. It was just Palator. So in terms of the the, the rest of that wave, though, it was it was, pre- it was pretty clean in terms. There was no um, car back variation. No a twenty back is a twenty back. Yeah, and and I mean they're, they're all dated nineteen seventy eight, and in in uh, Jaden Smith's Palator guide, he's got them as all being released at the same time. But I mean. I was speaking to a few guys, and and one guy, he's adamant that the, the aliens came out first, followed by the droids and, and Luke X-Ring. I do know that Christmas 78, you had the Sears Cantina Adventure set, and obviously they hadn't got Snaggletooth right. They, they'd guessed from a, a black and white photo of just, you know, the, the head and just to the waist, I think. So you had that, and that was Christmas 78. I mean, logically, I, I would have thought that the, the figures came out in more like 79, early 79 and 78. But I, I really, I mean, I look at other articles and it's, they're, they're just straight, yeah, it came out in 78. So mm. I'm really not sure. But one guy was saying he definitely, he was in Bristol and he definitely didn't see the second wave until 79. I mean, the, the only the only figure that's um, stamped 79 is, is Boba Fett. And, you know, that was the 21st figure. Could that be a a symptom of the figures coming out in the States in 78 and we got them a bit later? It it could well be, yeah. I'd imagine it would be um, something like that, yeah. That that would make sense to me. Again, I I just wish I had some personal knowledge and, you know, remembering it myself at the time. Yeah. um, I mean, a lot of these lists, it's it's, it's kind of... you know, I'm going to shout out the book a couple of times. I mean, the, the Star Wars phenomenon that Craig Stephen wrote, but then the threads that, that kind of led up to that in Star Wars Forum UK, a lot of the background in terms of this kind of the, the timeline of when a lot of this is coming out is, is detailed there with people throwing in, and that's where it's kind of solidified. That was kind of the consensus. Yeah. That, that, that That's when these were landing. They, they came out and just, you know, one type of card. Yeah. A 20-back card, which is a, a lovely card. No, you don't see many. You don't seem to many, see many of them knocking around, but there must have been loads of them because when you look at all the different variations there in America of their of their twenty backs and then twenty oh, bloody backs. Oh, God, it goes, what does it go up to? Like twenty G or something? A twenty G? <laughs> yeah, honestly, we did, it's, it's got really one. complicated. It's amazing. Oh God. Yeah, and these um, carried I, on, didn't they? Into we're going to, you know, we'll, I don't we'll sneak preview for the next episode, but these carried yeah. on. They were on the shelves for years, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But when you look even at you know again jumping forward like the thirty backs, there were no the none of these original twenty came out on that first thirty pack. They were still being sold on twenty backs. So if you exactly. wanted to go and buy any of these figures when the new no. waves were coming out, you'd have had to get the Star Wars cards. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah as I say, um, great. Yeah, great super set. You know, really, really nice, really nice yeah, set. Of a nice, nice image of the. Uh, Death Star on the back. That Death Star on the back, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lovely, lovely image on the back of that card. And there you go. That's the that's a 20 bucks for you. I'm, I'm glad it was a lot less complicated over here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you wait till next time. <laughs> <laughs> Going, talking from a collector's point of view, the, the Power Droid always has been the outstanding, toughy. You know, even even back when I first started collecting, they were just saying the Power Droids are so much more tougher to get than than, than the others. Greedo was always very popular out of the aliens, and these days it seems that the the droids have pulled away from the aliens in terms of desirability and commanding the most money. So like the Power Droid, Death Star Droid, and R5, they sort of seem to be in in a little league of their own compared to the aliens these days. 
yeah, Luke X-Wing always was deemed as one of the easiest to, to get hold of, but I, I think it's one of the coolest. Will Luke and his droids escape the stormtroopers? Can Ben Kenobi defeat the awesome Darth Vader? Only you know. Only you can create your own Star Wars. May the Force be with you. All right, Dave. Chips and playsets. Right, well, we're into the second year of uh, the stuff being available, and it's fair to say, by this point, everybody's going nuts. So it made the job a little bit easier to be able to bring in more product. But even then, within that, there were constraints placed on Palatoy that compromises had to be made, and they would need to use their ingenuity to be able to bring some of those products to market. But significantly, the big the big ones were the Darth Vader TIE Fighter and the Imperial Troop Transporter. Now, me personally... I had both of those as a kid, but the Imperial Troop Transporter was literally the most amazing thing ever created when I was a kid. Uh, and the fact it did all those noises, you know, the phrases and the sound effects, I mean, I, it, it just literally, I, it was my, my default, my go-to toy for any mission like that, that I played with. That thing was on Endor, that thing was on Hoth, it was everywhere. <laughs> There was no real changes to either of those products compared to uh, the uh, what was released elsewhere. The interestingly, the Darth Vader's Tie Fighter stayed in its packaging all the way through to to Jedi, and I don't know if that was just down to overproduction or something like that. But it never got the packaging refresh in the same sense of some of the other vehicles as well. Right. Uh, same could be said with the Imperial Troop Transporter as well. And that was available, visible, uh, uh, multilingual for like the Meccano, for the French market, as well as like the Palatoy one. So if you think of what went on in 79, those two vehicles were never reissued under different pretenses, you know, under different packaging, and the same on on the Kenner side as well. I think all they did with the Vader's tie, they they added the bounty hunter tokens on it on on later boxes. Yes, you're they? right. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. The, yeah, because the, they did that with the troop transport as well, didn't they? they right, right. Was on there. Yeah. But like, why those products never got a rebrand in the same way that the Falcon? Well, we never got a Star Wars Falcon, but the Falcon was then Empire, then became Jedi, if you see what I mean. The Attack was Empire, then Jedi. Yeah. I have absolutely no idea. Like the fact that Vader was only in his TIE Fighter in Star Wars and not in the other two, you know, Empire. Yeah, but the but the, the mini the mini rigs were only not in it either, but like no. You know, no, they, they, they were re, rebranded. The snow speeder yeah, was never in Jedi. I think the question is, was the yeah, Darth Vader TIE Fighter seen as a replacement for the TIE Fighter almost? Because it, 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 you just don't see, you didn't see the TIE Fighter get refreshed. Mm. They're really hard to find. Yet Darth Vader TIE Fighters on eBay, there's probably 25 of them on there right now. Yeah, yeah. Lord. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. But like, you've got to wonder what was going on. So there, there, there may be some data somewhere pertaining as to why there was that, that overproduction you know or maybe there was a like, massive overproduction but like mm. it was enough to like carry it through until there's like packaging refreshes like john was like saying the the other areas that other products that were brought out were play sets so you had land of the jowers the droid factory and the cantina now these were substantially different again 
to the US releases. Rather than having a plastic injection molded base, they were vac formed. So, which is a a, a more brittle. It's, it's it's not a rigid plastic. It's it, it's a brittle thing. They would have like a cardboard based kind of help give it a little bit structural rigidity in the case of like the cantina it was completely redesigned compared to the the the, the kenner version as was the the droid factory as well and again unique photography created and packaging to those uh, compared to the uh, kenner releases and cost reduction engineering so land of the jowers never had like the escape pod it just, just really nice. Yeah. It came with a little jowl, didn't it, in a unique baggie, mm. which, yeah. which was great. You know, because usually yeah. that that was a that, you know that that was an exclusive thing, having a figure included in a in a. Yeah, that's where, that's where all the jowls went. That's why they didn't get them. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. But, the, but there was also promotions where you had um, the cantina aliens also like included in on the the, the cantina set yeah yeah there, so so there's a few variations out there to like hunt down palatoy have expanded the range like the retailers are are interested in taking more of this stuff but there were still compromises that had to be made i don't think on the play sets it was down to the fact that it was cost engineering as such as it was, you know, the year before. I think it was more the availability of the the tooling to be able to like create those products. So, or if they had to make their own, Palatoy did a lot of backforming with like Action Man. Action Man from Palatoy. They did like a pillbox command center thing and and other bits and pieces. They were doing like blow molding as well with like the the tanks and stuff like that. But I, it may have been a decision that, well, actually, we can produce that cheaper than getting the, the injection molded version. Hence why they, they brought that out. I don't know if the, off the top of my head, if the prices are comparable to the Kenner releases, but they are arguably because you've got the cardboard background and because the vac forming plastic is a little bit more fragile, especially as time goes by. They are probably a lot tougher to find than uh, any of the Kenner releases. Do you think, Dave, though, that it could be a, could have been that because because of the lead time to create some of this, because they were still stripping electrics out, X wings, and doing all the other things they were doing, they would have already been producing these before Star Wars kind of became a big hit, and it went, oh well, actually, we could have just released it and told it for the price that they were charging for the American equivalents. Or do you think it was more a line of that's what they had experience in producing and um i i'd give them more credit in in the sense of that they were looking at how they could produce the product as quickly and as best as possible so uh, like like i said the the available tooling for cantina sets and land of the jails may have been available but the decision would have been made that you either make your own tools which is thousands you either wait until there's a production slot that's available that we can ship you the tooling and then you make your own, which means you miss key retail periods like Christmas because you're getting them made after that that point. So they may be like, well, look, we can make this ourselves. We can use our in-house expertise to like create like the the the, the equivalent of that, so we can get that product to market to hit the the sales period that we need to you know maximize on. I probably think it's more to do in that area more than anything else that it was like you know we we want to get this product to market now and we don't want to miss out and back to the imperial troop transport i inherited one of those when i was little and i always thought it was the blockade runner 
I had no idea. No, nice. it was an Imperial troop transport because you got wow. the sound effect R two D two. Where are you? Mm. I always yeah, yeah. that's what it was, and I always played with it as that. Yeah. Let's move on then. Should we? Should we do the diecast, Pete? Yes. So yeah, we got series one and two of these, and they were identical to the to the Kenner release. So series one was the uh, X wing Tie fighter, Darth Vader Tie fighter, and land speeder. And then series two with the boxed versions where we got the Falcon, the Imperial Cruiser, and the Y Wing. So yeah, they were they were the same. They were the same toys in the same boxes, but we had the gorgeous Pally toy logo on the cards, which. The card art on these is, is amazing. They look fantastic. The X-Wing just pings. The logo, we've talked about how strong the Palitoy logo is, but just on these, it looks it looks fantastic. And I made a note that I must pick myself up a, a carded X-Wing. That's exactly so why I'm after Pete. Yeah. It's it just looks amazing. Because the amount that I've passed on over years, and, and now you're looking for one, that's not turning up. It's just annoying. But no, yeah, they're getting harder to get. Got... They are, they're getting harder to get. I mean, there was a resale sold on Facebook recently. That was all right, but, yeah, I'm, I'm after a sealed one. Yeah, I mean, the four. I've got the landscape. It's ironic. It's easiest, isn't it, to get? And I think yeah. And, and the, you know, the white tie files has always been the toughest, but, you know, lately there's one or two have turned up. But yeah, just one of those things. I've got the, I've got the Imperial Cruiser. I've got a really, I've got a peach of a one from, uh, I think it was the, one of the toy shop sales they did on C&T at the beginning of lockdown when we went into COVID. That's a toughie. But these must have sold in quite high numbers because again, you look on eBay and it's just a never ending stream of a lot of these. They're probably battered to pieces, a lot of them, but they're, they're, yeah. they seem to be coming up all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like I seem to. I know certainly where I was in Croydon, they seem to be more in fact. There used to be more the availability used to be more in sort of model shops. So where you'd get your Airfix and your yeah. remote control cars, they were sort of more in. They were more there. They were more in that that sort of world. Oh, well, I, I didn't ever see them in the shops, but I remember the only time I ever saw them as a kid was a, a boy at school. Os, Osman Ashraf was his name, and he came to school with a Millennium Falcon and a Star Destroyer. And I couldn't believe that they existed. I'm like, I need a Star Destroyer. <laughs> and yeah, 20 years later, I managed to get one. Excellent. Yeah, there's a great, uh, we can link to it. And I think, I don't know where that came from originally, but there's a, there's a photo on, on Spoons' Andrew Norton's site, which has got, it's a, it's a shot photo, but it's got a load of these, the Pally Toy cards, the rack of these, and also a rack of carded figures. And it's got the laser rifle in there and various Pally Toy play sets. So that's one we should certainly link to on that. Carrying with a 12 inch, and I was I was of two minds whether to include these in the list because they are technically Denny's Fisher, but it would feel a little bit remiss not to talk about them. So, also with the Luke and Leia, as discussed already with the Palitoy logo boxes. So, then to follow up on the Denny's Fisher logos, you got the Han Solo, Chewbacca, Stormtrooper, R2, 3PO, and Vader, plus you also got a Luke and Leia on the Dennis Fisher logo as well. So, but what you didn't get on the Dennis Fisher logo or the Palitor logo, just to completely do your OCD over, was that you didn't get the Ben or the Jawa, which came over on the Meccano boxes. So <laughs> I, I think it, I think it leans towards what Dave was saying. It doesn't feel like there's a particularly lot of love for this line, and no one really wanted it, and it kind of got spread out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the retailers didn't want them, and I remember them as. As, as kids being all scattered and they were in discount stores pretty much is where they ended up and the Jawa which I've still got is my childhood one which came from Sutton Market I remember a guy having boxes, nice. of, boxes and boxes of trade boxes and they were doing them for a five reach I've got to say that whilst in North America it's always seen as the three and three quarter one out over the 12 inch because yeah. you could fit them in vehicles and things yeah. like that but I 
genuinely, genuinely believe that because Action Man, Action Man. from Palatoy was the best-selling 12-inch action figure here in the UK. The Star Wars one just didn't hold up to how good Action Man was, it, right. if, if you see what I mean. So I think that people were kind of like, ah, you know, it, it, it's no, nowhere near as good as an Action Man. And, and to help you guys put that in context, G.I. Joe wasn't available in the States when these came out. So we had a longer run of Action Man Mm. than America did of G.I. Joe. They sort of ended their reign of like 12-inch action figures in, in the mid-70s. So by the time Star Wars came around, it was hot off the heels of things like Six Million Dollar Man, which again is a 12-inch line. But here, like, you know, Action Man was king. It was the best-selling boy's toy. And I think one of the... the, the whilst three and three quarter inch was the more popular because you could have the figures and things like that. Sorry, the, the vehicles and the accessories. I also do believe that action man had a bearing on the success or the relative success of the star Wars 12 inch figures, because a lot of people were just kind of like, nah, it's just not as, not as, not as good, you know, and probably a lot more expensive than action man. As well. Action man from Palatoy. Well, mm. just the thought. I, I think the one thing that fascinates me with the 12 inch is the, the likeness of the, the Han Solo doll to yes, Harrison Ford. I, I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it's, I mean, it's unique because every, every other doll, they, they don't know anything like the actual person who played the, the part, but that, that Han doll, that face is just, incredible. Even In, the Vader sculpt, I think yeah. the Vader sculpt is brilliant. I mean, I, I, yeah. I do, for, for our Instagram page, I sometimes get a hot toy and hold it up against the vintage item, you know, just to yeah. kind of show the progression. And I put the, the Empire Strikes Back Darth Vader hot toy against the 12-inch Vader. Yeah. And obviously there's worlds of difference. But even still, it still looks quality. I, yeah. I think it does. Yeah. They all stand out. Yeah, you compare them to what Hasbro put out in the last 10 the years. and you, Yeah, you look at, they, no one's done a Chewbacca as good as that vintage no. Chewbacca. Yeah, boo, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Action Man's fault. Action Man from Palatoy. I think it's in Craig's book as well. There's a there's a there's a sun competition where you could win a set of the of the twelve inch doors, and that refers to them as scale models. So I think they were just marketed differently. They weren't marketed as toys. I think they were marketed as sort of models to to collectors. So was, that just... a, was that a competition in Star Wars Weekly or something like that, was it? No, uh, it's in the sun. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to try and find a, an image of that. Okay. Yeah, he's got it. It's in the book. So I think they were, yeah, I think they were just pitched at a slightly different different market. Sad old collectors. Very good. Okay, so we're going to head back over to Craig now and talk some more beyond the toys items. <laughs> So in 1979, picking up where the inflatable lightsaber left off, came two actual classic roleplay toys, the, the blaster pistol and the three-position laser rifle, which were both incredibly close to what you saw on screen when you, when you look at it. And this was in the days before, you know, you had to have all these problems in the end. They ruined everyone's fun, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> But I was I was fixated by Han Solo when I was a kid, and my blaster pistol was my absolute pride and joy. And we would play 
we'd play Star Wars and I'd have the proper gun and it was it was like having a prop, you know. Yeah, um, I, I, I had it too. I thought it was they, they they I mean they produced them every year pretty much, didn't they? After after that they were a great toy. Well, it's the sound that was the letdown. <laughs> the noise, yeah. Um, I don't I don't think I've put batteries in one since I was about six and I had one and when I was six years old I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna pop my bubble crazy? Tell me, it's not what I remember. For those who don't, for those people who aren't familiar with this product, how it would work was there'd be a secret button in the handle, it's a subtle little knob in the handle, and that would you'd press that, it would rotate a wheel inside the gun, and the trigger would lower a metal plate onto the wheel, which made sound like a dentist drill. <laughs> <laughs> and you can just keep it held down, it goes more than a laser bolt. But if you if you timed it, you could get a sort of shorter burst. It was very old school. Oh, you've ruined it for me now. In my uh, mind, it uh, made it made it, it did exactly what the one did in the film. Use my imagination. I had a proper hand solo blaster sound. That's what came out of mine. <laughs> <laughs> this is droney wine, but oh, I did. I did love it. Mine now and listen to it. But yeah, the other, this next one, I'm not. I'm less familiar with the free positioned rifle. Yeah, me too. I didn't have one of those. I've I have seen them, and you can. It's got a uh, hold thing that could be positioned in three ways, basically. So you can have it more like a stormtrooper blaster, then you can have it so it sort of sits in your armpit, and another way. A third way. <laughs> the wrong way. I yeah, I think it probably should grow up with one as a kid. A great toy, but yeah, not, nothing that I've got any affinity for. No, it's very, it's it's very good looking, and it's a nice size, you know, when you see it. Because those boxes are like frames, aren't they? Mm. They're a bit like the the, the diecast, you know, Y wing and the and the yeah. Vulcan. You know, they 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 sort of made a one piece double. They fold over and they join together. Yeah. Um, so they, they're almost like, uh, as a collector, you get these beautifully framed things, but the, the trade-off is they're quite fragile and they can get bashed quite easily. So. Mm. And the Palatoy version, that game's quite rare though, isn't it, I think, as well. There's, uh, they're not the yeah. easiest items to find. No, not at all. And the piece de la resistance, I think, we're coming up on, is it the, the talking R2? <laughs> yeah, so there were a couple of extra R2s that, that sat alongside the large-size action figures so the the, the palatoy palatoy released of their version of the radio controlled r2d2 which would go forwards and backwards and make a hideous noise and clearly <laughs> clearly a theme but it was essentially the same as the kenner version i think it's slightly different internal packaging well obviously a palatoy logo on the box the talking r2 was unique to uh, palatoy yeah. Presumably making use of their action man. Action man from Palatoy. Talking commando and talking Dalek technology. So it was probably something they wanted to push because they'd, they'd proven that was quite successful. And it came with, you know, a few sounds, a range of beeps and whistles. Uh, but what's notable is some of the bizarre dialogue, like I am R2D2. This oh, he speaks, does he? He talks in, in basic. In a robotic way, yeah. In a kind of robotic way. Uh, and I think one of the sayings is something like this information is vital to the rebels, which at a push you could say, well, you know, maybe maybe Princess Leia recorded that as part of her you know, message. But I am R2D2, which I think it says on the box as well. <laughs> 
is uh yeah is a beautifully kitsch piece of product design again i i I don't think it's as famous as it as it should be you've mentioned there the the radio control and you've got the basic 12 inches i mean if you stand these three things next to each other how similar are they to one another they are quite similar i've got all three and you know there's 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 tells like the (laughs) antenna on the remote control and the yeah, the push button on the front and then if you add the uh, airfix kit into the mix there's, there's that one again which is not not dissimilar slightly smaller but right we were very well off for r2d2s in D2s, the UK. yeah yeah i wonder if that was released anywhere else in the world beyond the uk if that was a meccano job as well yeah possibly i mean they, they'd have to sort of do their own version of the recordings as well. oh yeah well it's talking french and it might be one that says yeah r2d2 <laughs> exactly that's the extent of that's the extent of my french by the way so just to round off 1979, the look at how all of these products were supported through advertising, things really picked up compared to 78, both in quality and in, in number. So there was a sequence of beautiful Brian Bolland drawn ads that covered the second full wave of action figures featuring Green Rito, the Palatoy Drawer-Droid competition, a stunning ad for Darth Vader's TIE Fighter and an ad that featured Land of the Jowers and Droid Factory playset. So, you know, collectors can find these in, in various magazines and comics from the from the era and they are a, a really nice set and complement a collection really nicely. Yeah, they are. They are so stunning, aren't they? I know everyone talks Greedo, but that, yeah, that Darth Vader's TIE Fighter one is superb. And Brian Bolland was a was a craftsman. And one of the things I did, so when I did the looking blog, which you can go and see at generationskyhawker.com. One of the things I noticed was the Green Greedo ad specifically. Uh, it featured in lots of different you know, comics and magazines, various sizes, and you know, obviously no two magazines are the same dimensions, so the column widths would change. And, and generally when you're doing an ad like that, you would just build a bit of extra around. So if it was a wide one, it, there was a bit of space there. And if it was a smaller one, you would crop it. But there's examples where he's redrawn the complete ad to fit a space that's maybe you know half an inch wider and he's you can see it you can there's a comparison and and he's he's completely redrawn them uh, with some notable differences and you think wow that's (laughs) commitment it's commitment yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh yeah collect them all kids it seems to be quite acceptable now to chop these magazines up doesn't it and sell these pages and i'm i'm not sure if i'm down with that don't go cutting up vintage magazines and and also it's it's when you see them for sale, they'll always come at a premium. You can oh, yeah. You can probably find <laughs> a comic cheaper in a job lot. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you know where to look. You'll so. know what issues you're after, yeah. Right, that's some great, great information there. You've spoken about, you know, your dad dressing up as C-3PO and the kite. And how important were these items to you back in the 1970s? I think the I, I think things like the game, if, if, if one of your friends came around, it was nice to get that out and play the game, have a break from... You know, playing with the figures and things. So I think I think the game sticks out as, as as one of those toys I had that wasn't action figures that that was Star Wars that I did spend quite a lot of time playing. And obviously, you know, we talked about the the, the blaster pistol. That was, you know, I remember running around, you know, the house like it was the Death Star. You know, down the corridor, you know, the little bits next between us and next door you know that was quite narrow yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Down, and, I, and I, it was back in those days where we would we would make stuff so you know the the classic little carts little 
go-karts that you would make out of pram wheel, wheels and bits of splintery wood. You know, our next door neighbour had, his dad had a workshop and always had bits of timber lying around. And I remember having a little gun that I made, which was just like two pieces of wood pretty much nailed together. And I would use that to play when we were doing Cowboys and Indians or Space or whatever <laughs> the games we were playing. So to have that blaster pistol was, was a pretty big upgrade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we are we're coming near the end now, but we I, I did want to cover the item that were released by Kenner in the US, but not released in the UK. Now some of these items would have re- received later releases, but I think we should we should call them out. So in 1978, out in the states, they obviously got the early bird certificate, which we've already discussed. The telescoping figures or double telescoping figures, we've discussed those as well. They had the Kenner version of the Death Star. And then the action, or sorry, the Cantina Adventure Set series, one with the blue snag. So we've, we've discussed that as well. Yeah. Um, they also got four lots of free packs. So the special action figure sets are high up on my list of wanted items. And then the Millennium Falcon, which amazingly we didn't see for another two years. And is that day just on that? Is that purely down to cost of that item? Is that why we didn't see it over here? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because if you think back, the the most expensive product in that original lineup and it was a it was a tough tough thing you you can reduce some of it but it's still a big chunk of real estate on the shelves and it's still going to cost a lot so i think i would i would imagine and i don't know for definite but i would imagine falcons were imported in gray imported in um not through via palatoy channels but like people were getting them available i've read that a lot of like stuff was turned up on market stalls yeah, um, was, was getting. Did you think something as big as the Falcon would have would have gone down that route? Not not so much on market stalls, but like take like Hamleys or Harrods. Oh, so they would have, they would have been stocking it. Anyway. Yeah, they'd be like, no, we we you know you know we have to have that. So and I don't know that for definite, but I'm just thinking along the lines of what they would need to be the cut above a, a normal retailer. And were you aware of the Falcon before we got it in the UK back in that back at that time? Were you aware there was a toy in the States and we didn't get it here? Nah, I mean, I, I, so I was born in 76. So I, okay. you know, all, all of this was like sort of rattling around in my head. It wasn't yeah. until like sort of like 80... When it would have been released anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What about um, you, Pete? Have you got any memories of that, of anyone having a Falcon growing up before it was released? No, because right. I remember getting my original Palatoy is a bit like Empire Falcon. And I think, given how many of those still exist today, because yeah. they're everywhere, aren't they? You can still pick those up in the, the Palatoy boxes. Every toy fair, you see one of those. So they must. Well, I think they just went for it. I, I reckon the Star Wars one never saw it saw these shores and I think Palutoy just saw what they probably saw that and thought right that's that is the next big thing that's the key Empire launch and then as a side note one of the things we didn't get <laughs> was the holiday special so did we miss out on that I don't know but yeah we didn't, we didn't get a holiday special but then in 1979 the Americans got a radio controlled Jawa sand crawler a sonic controlled land speeder they had the Kenner version of the Droid Factory, the Kenner version of the Land of the Jawas, and the Kenner Creature Cantina action playset. Other items they got was the Jewback. I can't believe we didn't get a Jewback. That was one yeah. that yeah. surely we should have seen. Yeah. Then they had four more uh, three packs. They had the large size action figure of Boba Fett, which we will talk about in the next episode. And the Boba Fett mail away was also starting to land on people's letterboxes. 
Yeah. You think? You think? Oh, I think I've covered everything that, that, that they had out in the states. We didn't get. I think there was some puzzles maybe that Kenner produced that we didn't have here, but I think we had enough puzzles going on that we <laughs> probably didn't need any more. Uh, we had puzzles through Waddington's. Excellent. So the next question is: if, if you had been lucky enough to travel to the states in 1979, which of these items that we didn't get would you have picked up? Falcon all the way. I'd have gone for. I think. Well, if, okay, let's just tank because everyone's going to say the Falcon. So you've only got limited. You've only got Actually, limited, oh, right. limited I, I, pay space. So, so <laughs> I, for, for me, I don't think it would have been a Falcon. I think it would have been the Dewback because it's so cool. It's, and I, I still don't own one now. No, but, I uh, as a kid, I would have paid much attention to the Dewback in in Star Wars. I don't know anything that's got Stormtrooper on it. Like I said, that Imperial Troop transport. You know, for me, like all the mm. way. Like, Fair enough. It's cool as yeah. I reckon I would have gone with the Dewback. Right. You, Joel was saying Joel was saying Paul would be nice but yeah as the other two have gone for saying else John I'll take it easy on you you can have the Falcon oh thank you that's <laughs> oh that's great that excellent I'm winner we'll take it out of the box we'll, we'll fill the hole with socks okay. <laughs> get it in that suitcase awesome <laughs> leave the box I, at the airport no you can't I, do that <laughs> That's it, you've, got, you've got a room or flat packet roll it up put it in the suitcase okay. leave the toy and take the book we are, we're nearly done with the 70s fellas but before we before we close it out what you know we've just spoken about our favourite item there the US but out of that Palatoy range which is the standout item for all of us I think I think I think I know the answer but let's see if there's any surprises no, it's the Death Star surely yeah it's, it, it has to be the Death Star you're going to have to go and buy one now John I, I know it's, it's, yeah <laughs> I, I, I don't. I've got enough problems about. I don't even think about that anymore. Yeah, you never know. Is it going to get a full house on the Death Star, Dave? I, I was, I was holding back. I was keeping quiet. But I, there are so many other good toys. I mean, like I said, that there's. If if I was to go down the road of what I had and played with the most, it would have been the troop transport. Mm. But in terms of an appreciation for just how brilliant of a product it is and and how it was done in a way to make something much bigger and have an impact relative to its its cost and adding value to not just buying the toys but like the 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 potential of playing with it and the adventures that you can have you know it's as as covered earlier it's got every key feature every key scene in there it's just incredible it's so so good yeah. So, um, yeah, it, I, I, I do have to sadly push the trans, troop transport to one side and uh, go for the Death Star as well. Excellent. Well, I guess the tables are turned, Dave, right? So where the, where, the, where the retailers were kind of, I don't know if we want Star Wars, I'm guessing it's a complete 180 now, and now they're, uh, they're, they're begging Palatoy for more Star Wars but toys. They couldn't get enough, could they? They, they were really... Like they put in an order and they wouldn't be able to get anywhere near what they wanted. I think. And, yeah. So, and, so you know. Yeah. By this point, all hell had broken loose. Yeah. You know, and Star Wars mania had hit the UK shores, and anything that was Star Wars related was a license to print money. And yeah. if you look at like beyond Palatoy itself, you had things like force beams. Yeah, you had all these products that were Star Wars like in their appearances to as a as a way to capitalise on it. And even Action Man, Action Man from Palatoy himself sort of delved into that area with like the uh, Space Ranger and Captain Zargon, which is very Darth Vader like. So the British toy market 
was adapting to the effect of Star Wars as a whole. Yeah, you had a bit of space Lego as well, didn't you? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sp- introduction yeah. of like space Lego, the effect of of what those few years, and and, and the, sort of like the Wild West because we hadn't really become accustomed to like you know strict brand guidelines and adherence to the use of logos and fonts and spacing and stuff like that. It was it was great, you know. It's just like a, a almost like a free for all. See what people with so uh, some some of the most diverse stuff but certainly not necessarily always the best either luke skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message from a princess help me obi-wan kenobi she's beautiful star wars starring mark hamill i'm luke skywalker i'm here to rescue you aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper harrison ford Boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're gonna have to I think we took a wrong turn. Kerry Fisher. Good luck. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the Force be with you in Star Wars. Very good. So that's the end of the show. If you want more Generation Skywalker Between shows, we have over 100 past episodes available on our feeds. With our vintage show, Those Old Fossils, the modern show, The Modern Way, commentaries, interviews, one of which... Stuart interviewed John if you want to go back and look for that in our back catalogue <laughs> our committee shows where we debate various Star Wars subjects to create our own top tens and much more on YouTube you'll find enhanced versions of many of our shows as well as unboxings and other Generation Skywalker related doings just search Generation Skywalker remembering to like and subscribe on social media we're active on both Facebook and Instagram just search Generation Skywalker and follow us for the most up to date information on what's happening and everyone should join the We Are Generation Skywalker group on Facebook to talk directly to other listeners and the hosts of the show. Gentlemen, it's been a blast and I look forward to doing it again for part two. But for this show, it's goodbye from John. Goodbye and well done, Van. That's great. It's goodbye from Pete. Nice round. Cheers, guys. It's goodbye from Dave. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. And just who is that mysterious bounty hunter, Bubba Fett, who possibly sides with Darth Vader? To learn more about this and more in part two of Generation Skywalker's Guide to Palatoy coming soon. We are Generation Skywalker. All errors, all passions, all Star Wars.